Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It is one minute after seven. You're listening to SENZ. Uh, this is Extra Time. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock. Telephone number 0800 150 811. Now, you can text the programme here too on double eight double three. We will open the lines after nine o'clock. want to have a discussion around that New Zealand 15 that has been named, but also the All Black team that has been named. I do shake my head. I do scratch my head. I do wonder where the bigger picture thinking is. And also wonder why we tend to lose a lot of experienced players overseas just when they're starting to make their mark in New Zealand rugby because perhaps they cannot see a pathway through to the top. Uh, coming up after 8 o'clock, we will talk surf life-saving. Uh, they've just had the national championships on at the National Aquatic Centre on Auckland's North Shore. Uh, all the top surf clubs from around the country. Zach Franich will join us. And also, Zach was overseas with the New Zealand Surf Life Saving Team who just competed at the World Championships in Italy. Regan Wood, the general manager of the baseball franchise, the Auckland Tuatara, will join us as well. He'll update us a number of players, a number of signings. That competition gets away, uh, gets underway at the end of November. So plenty to look forward to. But I keep saying this, talkback is a better experience when you get on the phone. And so one more time, that telephone number is 0800 158 Ben Francis producing. How are you, Ben? Great, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. How's the darts? Oh, fantastic. There was a tournament finished uh, this morning over in England, the World uh, Grand Prix. Excellent, excellent final. Very entertaining. Great stuff. Good. Inspired? Uh, absolutely. Sorted out your mental game yet? No. No? You, we, we need to have that coaching. Well, our guest in studio might be able to help you. Oh, brilliant. Because we're going to have a spotlight out, and I'm really looking forward to this. Liam Stone is my guest. Liam has represented New Zealand at three Commonwealth Games in the sport of diving and hopefully looking to try and qualify for Paris 224 at next year's World Championships in July. The New Zealand Secondary Schools Championships were held over the weekend at West Wave, and I've got to say you've got to be completely and utterly nuts to jump off a 10-metre platform, let alone dive off it, do a whole lot of somersaults and twists and then try and enter the water like an arrow, perpendicular, and not make too much of a splash. So we're going to look at diving this hour. We're going to talk a little bit about Liam's career. He's also been on a scholarship to the States, the University of Tennessee, and I know there's a lot of people listening who potentially might have their kids in the future who are good at sport, possibly looking at the American collegiate system. What are some of the pros? What are some of the cons? But also, more importantly, I just want to actually look at the training regime of our divers. How different 
in terms of their periodisation, is it, from, say, sports like athletics, sports like swimming? Uh, Liam, good evening. Welcome. How are we? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Excited yeah. to be here. Now, congratulations. Um, third Commonwealth Games in Birmingham this year. And what, you finished sixth, I believe. Yeah, sixth in the one metre and eighth in the three metre. And you're happy with those results? I, I was over the moon, yeah, especially after... Um, the last couple of years with injury and stuff like that to come back and um, put in a performance like that, I was, I was wrapped. Now, the one metre and the three metre are known as the springboard. Correct. Uh, those that don't have a board are just simply... Sorry, I'm just having a mental block here. There's the, the, the one metre springboard. The three the metre springboard. three metre springboard. And then you've got the 10 metre platform. Yeah, the platform. My apologies. I just, for some reason, <laughs> lost the word platform. Maybe I'm just a little bit fried. Um, so why the springboard? Yeah, well, as the sport has sort of modernised, um, divers now tend to specialise in one or the other, springboard and platform. Um, some divers will start their career early off in platform and come down to springboard. Um, a, as a junior, I did a bit of platform and was a little bit better on springboard. I had some injuries that kind of stopped me from going up top too often and um, I just slowly kind of ventured more towards springboard and got better on springboard and um, yeah, my body type kind of lends itself to springboard more as well. How much can you do in terms of, and I'll just use layman's terms here, aerial acrobatics off a one metre springboard before you enter the water? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, definitely not as much as, you know, the high boards, right? Because you're not got as, uh, as much room. But some of the guys overseas are really, really pushing the envelope um, with the stuff that they're doing, you know, um, Three and a half somersaults is pretty standard now um, from a one meter, and of course with the springboard, you know you are getting a lot of height, you know, and that's that's kind of the the key element of springboard is is how much height can you generate out of that board, um, and you know as um, as we get more in tune with you know technique and um, strength training and stuff, people people are jumping higher and higher and turning bigger tricks. So if you can do three and a half somersaults off a one metre, how many somersaults could you potentially do off a three metre? Well, four and a half is, is, you know, wasn't too long ago that four and a half was quite a big deal and now it's sort of a bit more standard, you know. Is that because there's been an evolution in the equipment or is that just simply an athlete has just changed the games, come along, body type, very explosive um, and just has an X factor in regards to coordination, flexibility, etc.? Yeah, I think... I think an element of both, you know, there's always um, progression in sport, all sports. Um, the springboard uh, technology has developed uh, quite a bit over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, so the springboards that we're diving on today are a lot different to what they were 20 years ago. So how, it's a small community here in New Zealand, so how, do, how does someone like yourself keep up to date with the evolution of what's happening overseas? Um, well, yeah, it is a small community uh, in New Zealand, but it's also quite a quite a tight knit community worldwide as well. Um, and so, you know, we're we're all good mates overseas, and the coaches are all pretty close as well. So they're all pretty happy to kind of share um, training regimes and stuff together. And 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 we travel overseas as much as we can. Um, it's uh, not easy being in New Zealand, you know, really as far, but as far as way as you can get from uh, Europe and, and quite far from the States and that, but we do yeah. tend to travel and compete as much as we can. I'm a big believer for a sport to be successful. You've got to invest in bricks and mortar, but more importantly, you've got to invest in good coaching. 
Do we have the facilities? Do we have the coaching? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, our facilities, of course, are are nowhere near some of those overseas. Um, But I strongly believe we have what we need. Um, but that's yeah. a little bit of the New Zealand way, isn't it? You, at the same time, you, you want a little bit of adversity. You want you, you don't need to be that's right. pampered either. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, when we do go overseas, we go, wow, look at this. And we, I think we appreciate it a lot more, you know. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that being said, there's a new pool being built in Christchurch at the moment, and that will be pretty state-of-the-art. Um, and, uh, yeah, you make a good point about coaching. I mean, you can only sort of grow the sport as much as you your coaches mm. know so um, there has been a lot of emphasis in the development of coaches um, throughout the country for the last sort of five ten years and um, we're seeing not only the numbers of divers increase but also the numbers mm. of um, those going into mm. coaching increase as well. Mm. How did you get into diving? I mean there's so many sports to choose from as a young kid growing up. Why diving? How? Why? Yeah yeah it, um I mean, like a lot of Kiwi kids, you know, I wanted to sort of try everything I could and um, did a bit of this, did a bit of that. And um, my brother, half-brother overseas um, from Canada, lives in Canada, he's a bit older than me and he was diving for Canada on their national team. And so because of that, I thought, oh, well, diving is pretty cool and he's pretty good at it, so I wouldn't mind giving that a go. Um, So I went and found a little local club and um, gave it a go and enjoyed it and been in at it ever since. Well, what's the first thing they teach you when you turn up to dive in? Like most of us, we've all dived into a swimming pool. We might have got up on the one metre and dived in and we might have edged our way off a three metre and probably hurt our back in the process yeah. or done a big belly flop and smacked the water. But what's the first thing they teach you when you get into diving? Yeah, um, we will um, teach sort of a range of diving positions and techniques we actually run a schools program where we go into the school and teach them sort of just the very basic fundamentals in their gymnasium um and and that's the same thing that we'll do to a kid coming and trying out diving so we'll teach them you know a tuck position and a pike position uh, a straight position um similar to sort of gymnastics you know we'll, we'll start to teach them forward rolls and backward rolls and start to teach them how to do a handstand and just kind of developing that body awareness um and then we'll go into the pool mm. and teach them how to jump properly and how to um, enter the water upside down properly, you know, um, like a dive, you know, mm. rather than, a, as you say, a belly flop or a, on your back. Um, and we actually will even get them in the water and just get them rotating in the water. and um, it's like practicing tumble turns and swimming. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, just getting them comfortable with um, being upside down and, and spinning yeah. and depending on their age, is, it depends on um, how you know, fast will kind of progress them and obviously eventually mm. we'll encourage them to go up to the higher boards as well. I mean, you look at it and it's sort of aerial acrobats. Again, just using layman's terms, you guys are aerial acrobatics mm. before you basically ultimately end up finishing sort of fingers, hands, arms, head first into a pool. Um, how much gymnastics is involved or is it more like we've now seen at the Olympic Games with the trampolining? It's it's definitely different to gymnastics, but there's there's certainly a lot of similarities, um, and with trampolining as well, um, the techniques are slightly different. So we do actually get a lot of gymnasts crossover, um, but there is a, a period of having to kind of break down their old technique and um, reintroduce the new technique. Um, and the biggest thing that a gymnast struggle with is landing head first instead of feet first, um, and same with the trampolinists. But um, 
yeah, it's it's similar, but but slightly different as well. You know, the the, the positions that we teach would be slightly different to the uh, to the gymnasts, but the, mm. the the base fundamentals for kids um, are very transferable. Yeah. Now, what at the Commonwealth Games? What's the standard number of dives that the competitors do? How many? Yeah, so all all international competitions, senior competitions, uh, the men do six and the women do five. Um, why that is, I can't tell you, but um, there's uh, there's a range of categories that the the divers have to um, have to do their dives from as well. So some of these are you're on the board and you're just looking out feet first, and then others you got your back. Yep, that's to right. the pool. That's right. So I, I've seen people having to do dives from doing handstands. Yeah, so so there's, as you say, forwards, backwards, those are the simple ones, and then there's what we call reverse, which is where you're rotating backwards but jumping forwards. So uh, you're sort of pushing yourself off the board but and then diving back towards the board. Yeah, so if yeah. you can imagine you, d- you do a backflip but you jump forwards. Okay. Um, and then uh, similar with what we call inwards, you, you essentially do a front flip but you mm. jump backwards. Mm. Um so yeah, you, like you say, you're somersaulting yeah. back towards the board. And then, so within each of those categories, and there's six of them, you then determine the degree of difficulty prior to the competition, and those degree of difficulty starts at one and then goes up. And what point five doesn't? Yeah, it or goes point, up. It can it can be one, one point one, one point two, all the yeah. way up to. Um, so one point one's easy. One point five still fairly easy. And when you get up right. to Olympic Games level, you're starting to see three point eight, three point nine. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, every dive has its own degree of difficulty, and um, there's an algorithm to calculate that. And um, it's kind of a a bit of a risk reward game when you get to those higher dives because. Um, so, so how the scoring works is you've got your degree of difficulty, the judges will, will score your dive, um, and then that raw score will be multiplied by the degree yeah. of difficulty. Now, now they, they mark you purely on your dive. They don't factor in the degree of difficulty. That's done afterwards. They just look That's at your right. dive, and then they just mark you purely on the dive, and then all the algorithms kick in later. Yep. That's right, yeah. So, and, and that's where it comes in. So you've, you might have a really hard dive, but you've still got to perform it well. So the, how hard it is doesn't come into what score they will give you. Um, so that's where some sometimes you'll see divers will choose to compete a slightly easier dive because they know they can perform it really well. But you need to perform it really well, don't you? You do, yeah. And that sounds well, – but, but it's interesting having watched it and having looked at it. There are so many components that the judges are looking at from the way you stand um, before you start your dive – uh, to the flexibility and hypermobility and your ankles and your toes pointing towards the heavens. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to think about in a split second, isn't it? How, uh, how I mean, how automatic is it when it, when you get to your level in terms of say your feet and the flexibility and those other things I've just talked about? Is it does it just is it just natural? Yeah, no, it is. And and as you say, it's it's an incredible amount, and that's why we have to train so much. You know, like like every sport. Um, but yeah, once once you're uh, in the competition, it's all pretty subconscious, um, or it should be, pretty yeah. automatic. Um, so, what are the things then when you're at the top of the board? What are you actually focusing on? Is there, are there key things that you are focusing on during the dive? You know that a lot of stuff yeah. is automatic, and you're just assuming you've got it right. You're assuming you've impressed the judges or going to impress the judges. So, if you're on, let's say, the three meter springboard, uh, you've got a 
say, a, a dive that's got a degree of difficulty of three, what, what, what would you be focusing on? Yeah, and, and we do we do focus on things. So we, we refer to them as cues. So it might be two cues to focus on because um, otherwise your mind goes crazy and you, you yeah. can't think about everything. So um, an example might be, you know, I, I want to keep my head up as I, as I jump. So I just think about, you know, head up. Um, and that's kind of just going through my mind, head up, head up, head up, and the rest just my body just takes over, and um, my mind at least has that one cue to focus on, rather than thinking about everything at once. Mm-hmm. And clearly, I'd imagine after a while, what do you tend to identify some weaknesses that are consistent weaknesses? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and and those kind of allow us to figure out what cues to focus on. So there's some some things that take a little bit more conscious effort over others and that will kind of determine what we are thinking about on the board. 16 and a half minutes after 7, you're listening to SENZ in studio. My guest is Liam Stone. Liam is our Commonwealth Games, one of our representatives at this year's Commonwealth Games in the sport of diving. Sort of first introduced himself to the wider sporting public back in Glasgow. If you've got a question regarding diving, and we are going to start taking this conversation in the direction of extreme diving like you often see on TV, the cliff diving, etc. If you've got a question, um, 0800 150 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. We'll take a break. Back with more. It is 21 minutes after 7. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 in studio. We have one of New Zealand's leading divers, Liam Stone. He's been to three Commonwealth Games and he finished 6th and 8th at the recent Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, uh, sixth in the one metre and eighth in the three metre. If you've got a question for him, 0800 150 I'm just putting the spotlight on this, fascinated by it. And I think it's become really, really popular now because of what we've seen through Red Bull and what we've seen with a lot of the cliff diving. Um, but if you want to end up being a cliff diver, if you want to be a lunatic and a maniac, you've still got to start in the pool. You've still got to start in the springboard or off the platform. And we are going to talk about that shortly and just get his thoughts on it. Uh, one of the questions I always have, like um, the great running coach, Arthur Lydiard, he sort of, everyone thinks that he gave athletics 100 miles a week. But in hindsight, what he actually did is he gave the world periodization. He believed in base work, strength work, speed work. Mm. And so once you started to get into that speed work phase, you're starting to sort of backing off your volume, your strength components starting to peak and starting to get into race fitness. And periodization can be translated in, across a whole lot of sports, and often all you do is changing the terminologies, but the philosophy is still the same. Do you have periodization in diving? Can you peak in July next year? If so, how does the next seven or eight months look? What is the equivalent of base work? What's the equivalent of strength work? What's the equivalent of speed work? Yeah, 100%. We, um, we've actually just gone through our, our season plan um, not too long ago, and um, yeah, there's a huge element of, of having to periodise because, you know, you can't stay at your peak uh, all year long. So we've worked backwards um, from the World Champs in July and that's where we're aiming to peak. So um, to answer your question, sort of our sort of base work is what, what we're doing now and um, that involves a lot of um, sort of a little bit of aerobic stuff just to build our overall capacity. We're obviously not um, endurance athletes, but it just helps with our capacity to train. Um, and a lot of strength work, a lot of fundamentals, going back to basics in the pool. Um, what about flexibility? Where does that fit in? Yeah, and, and, and flexibility is sort of all year round. I mean, we're, yep. we're always working on that. But, yeah, absolutely flexibility and, and mobility. You know, we're doing um, a lot of sort of in-range strength, sort mm. of um, gymnastic-y type, uh, type style strength workouts and stuff like that. 
and um, and then slowly we'll, we'll progress. We'll start to do our bigger dives, and then we'll we'll go into what we're calling a, a volume phase, um, and that's where we'll just do reps, just big big reps of um, of our harder dives, um, kind of aiming to sort of you know train the nervous system to be able to do those dives under fatigue. How much energy do you, it, does it take to do a dive? Like how many when you're doing heavy loading in terms of dives and training? How does that look in a session? Are we talking one dive, two dives, 10 dives, 20 dives? Yeah, we would do, small session would probably be 30 dives. Big wow. one big one would be maybe 60. And that's, Some, what, and that's with all the tricks in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so we're, we're actually looking at doing, we're going to do a really big volume phase um, coming up towards the end of this year, start of next year, and we're going to look at doing um, between 30 and 60 of our big dives which is really, really fatiguing. So, so when you're talking big dives, are you talking high degree of difficulty dives? That's right, sorry, yeah. yes, high degree of difficulty. So, you, you know, you're three, three and a half, two and a half versus at the moment we're just doing sort of, you know, uh, one and a half or, or half or some sort, you know, front dive, a back dive, yeah. um, just working on the on the, the fundamentals, the basics, even jumps, we'll practice jumps. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll eventually progress to doing our, you know, three and a half, four and a half, yeah. stuff like that. Nothing replicates competition like a competition you can do it all you want in training so working backwards from the world championships how many events would you have as a lead in yeah that's right and 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 that i guess leads into what we would then coming out of that volume phase would begin to taper off we'd reduce the reps and we would start to increase what we call pressure training and um we, we try to simulate competition scenarios. Are you as listening much as to possible. this, Ben? <laughs> this is called simulation training. This is called what? What did you stress training? Did you yeah, call yeah, it? yeah, pressure training. Pressure yeah, training. Have yeah. a listen to this. And we'll and we'll you know we'll we'll make up scenarios. You know, right? You know, you, you need sevens on this dive to make the final. Or sometimes we'll go the opposite. Right? All you need to do is get fives. You know, you just need to land on your head. And sometimes that's harder, right? Because it's like. Oh, I don't even need to do anything special. Just but you take your eye off the ball. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be, um, you know, you've got to do three three good ones in a row, or, or something like that. Or sometimes we'll we'll compete with each other, you know, and we'll um, have have competitions. Right, you won that round. You won that round. Um, and uh, and we'll do that as we lead up to a competition. And so to answer your question, we'll have we're aiming to compete a couple of comps in sort of February, end of January early Feb, and then we'll um, kind of go through a mini um, base work again, mini volume phase, and then we'll start to taper off again for another So when another you do comp- those competitions in January, February, are you expecting to hit some pretty high numbers then, or are you still sort of accepting that, hey, I'm only going to be at 80% because that's sort of where I am through the training? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, that's, that's probably when we'll start to play with our... Uh, competition routine and stuff yep. like that. I mean, you know, we, we, we do have it pretty down pat, but it always kind of shifts slightly. And um, so we'll put those things into practice um, and then we'll reflect on that meet and we'll go into another one. We'll probably do another one in June, reflect on that, and then we'll do a true true peak for July. Yeah, I mean, going back to my triathlon days, when you start out, you have a fairly sort of uh, a, a simple template that everybody follows. But as you gain more experience and you understand your own physiology, you start to take more control of it. You start to tweak it. What works for one athlete might not necessarily work for you. Is that the case? The way you do that periodization, say, from the lead up to Glasgow to, say, the lead up that you're doing for, say, Birmingham and next year's Worlds, how different is it? 
Yeah, it, I think um, for me, as I've kind of been involved a lot more now, and I, I find it all very interesting, and um, I've probably taken a little bit more control over my own mm. plan. Um, and with my experience, I've, I guess, learned what works for me and what doesn't and where I might need to, you know, add some things and take some things away. So it's just, like you say, slight little tweaks. But, but sometimes the coach needs to overall. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach sometimes just goes, I yeah. get where you're coming from, but no, we're going to do it this way. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's where, you know, sometimes... They need to take the guesswork out, aren't they? So, exactly, and sometimes it gets tough and, you know, you, your mind can come up with excuses and that, but if if you've got a plan and, and you're still feeling okay, you've you've kind of got to stick to it. With that said, you also have to be adaptable. Yeah, no, it's um, it's fascinating. Is there a danger? We see it a lot in golf, another sport that's technical, another taught sport, swimming the same, um, where you can, you know, paralysis by overanalysis. I mean, you come across, Absolutely. Liam, very, very smart. Uh, I mean, I picked that up uh, listening to your commentary. Uh, is is that a weakness of yours or is that a strength of yours? <laughs> or, or it depends? It, yeah, it probably is a bit of a weakness of mine, I think. Um, I think that's, that's the danger, I guess, of some of these conversations is you can go so, into so much detail and you can have so many different theories. But at the end of the day, like you say, so long as you stick to the basics and um, you're kind of getting in the pool and you're, do, you're doing your dives and you know, you're know you getting some reps in, um, it probably all comes out in the wash. Um, but, um, you know... Because there, there was just so many components to this. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about the different components and I'm just sitting there going, man, your head must just get cluttered at times and you need clarity. Yeah, you do, you do. And and that's, that's why, I, I mean, for me personally, you know, I like a plan and um, I think... It, it gives me that clarity, being able to plan. You go around the world, often a lot of competitions are set up for television, like at Tokyo, and I was lucky enough to be there as a commentator, but the swimming finals are in the morning. Swimming finals are normally held at night. Mm. Do you train in the build-up? Do you train at the times you're going to be competing at so that the nervous system is in tune, that your body is switched on to knowing that it needs to perform at 10am in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon? We do, um, as much as possible. You know, when we when we get to a competition, we will, uh, as close as possible, train at the times that we know we're competing. However, sometimes it's out of our control. You know, they might say, right, you've got to train at 10 and that's it. Um, but, yeah, we, we will try and kind of establish, right, on, on comp day, this is what our routine's going to be. Two weeks out, we'll we'll create that routine already and yeah. start to. And is that done from the moment you wake up, grab five hundred mils of water, breakfast? Yeah, I mean music, whatever else you need. Yeah, well, for me personally, yes, um, I've I've got a sort of a bit of a competition ritual now that I stick to, and you know I get up sort of a four hours or so before I'm competing at the, at the least, um, just to make sure I'm awake, and I'll maybe do a bit of a quick sort of stretch and warm up and that just to wake the body up and. Um, I'll start to go through that uh, the minute we get overseas, just to, as you say, create that routine. And by the time it gets to comp day, you know, you, you're kind of already going through the motions. It is 7.31. You're listening to SENZ. My guest in studio is Liam Stone. He's been to three Commonwealth Games, um, having burst onto the international scene eight years ago in Glasgow, where he's set a still-standing New Zealand record in the men's one metre. Since then, he's gone on to great success, earning several international Grand Prix medals. 2015, he went to the University of Tennessee on a diving scholarship to study kinesiology. If you've got a question for Liam, 
Telephone number is 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. When we come back, I do want to talk about the collegiate system, the scholarship program that the United States does offer. How appropriate free-falling, yes, because if you're into diving, you are going to free-fall. Well, I'm going to free-fall. I'm going to hit the water real hard, too. Apparently, from 10 metres, what speed? Liam Stone, by the way, is my guest in studio, Commonwealth Games diving representative, represented New Zealand at three Commonwealth Games. Fingers crossed. We're going to see him get to the Olympic Games in Paris with qualification. Got to be top 12 at the World Championships in July next year. When you jump off a 10-metre uh, diving board, and you hit the water. What sort of speed are you travelling at before you hit the water? Just just shy of sixty k's an hour. Okay, yep. yeah, and that would hurt, wouldn't it? Yeah, a it's, lot. It's uh, it's a bit of impact, especially if it yeah. goes wrong. Now I ask you this: I'm always fascinated by sports, and um, and so you know, in soccer, you will get a guy steps up to take a penalty, and some days the goal mouth or the goal itself just looks so big he can't miss. Other days, for whatever reason, because of where the grandstands are or the roof or the lighting. The goal looks small and he says, there's no way I can score today. The goalkeeper's just all over me. And yet the dimensions are exactly the same. Do do you turn up to some pools and the three metre feels higher or shorter? Yep. And does the water feel harder or softer at some pools? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, It always takes quite some time to adjust to a new pool. You know, you've got the lighting and... Um, some buildings are bigger than others, so you know a lower roof makes um, makes the boards sometimes feel higher, um, especially the ten meter. You know, whereas if it's a really high roof or an outdoor pool, um, it can feel a little bit lower. And, and as you say, with the water, sometimes it's colder or warmer, and that does actually make a little bit of a difference um, as to how easy it is to um, to rip what we call rip into the water with no splash. So even though you might just say we go off a ten meter board, so in some pools, because do you lose your Depth perception, does the water come quicker if you don't get a read on it, if you don't make that adjustment? Yeah, well, there's actually, um, if you watch diving, you'll notice that the water is um, has got dis- disturbed. Um, to, break you know, the, to break the dive. Yeah, to yeah. break the surface. So they've got sort of bubbles or they've got sprayers. And that is so that we can see the, the water. Because as you're somersaulting and, you know, you come around, you look for the water. And if it's, you know... Um, sort of like ice, you know, it's all just nice and flat and still, you actually can't see where it is. Um, so that's why they have that uh, disruption is just the, the, so that we can see the water. Um, mm. And uh, as you say, with your depth perception, it's actually quite common for it to get lost um, when you're outdoors because you've got the blue sky, the blue water, and that's when you see a lot of crashes. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk about the collegiate system in the United States um, why did you go on a university scholarship? You clearly believed it was in your that was part of uh, your development, uh, your yeah. pathway in terms of fulfilling your ultimate goal and being the best you can become. Yeah, um, I mean, at, at the time, um, diving wasn't quite as big as it is now. It's it's grown um, quite rapidly actually over the last um, few years, and uh, I just felt that I wanted to expose myself to divers that were better than me that were going to kind of push me and bring me to that next level um and so i started to look at at options to go overseas and um because it's big in the collegiate system isn't it oh it's massive and that was one of the biggest things that surprised me was how deep the competition was and all these guys that you'd never heard of because they're you know extraordinary they're not good enough to be on the american team because you know they're, they're pretty high caliber athletes um but they're very good divers and um so, you know, I was fortunate enough to land a, a full scholarship and ended up at the University of Tennessee mm. with a um, with a coach that uh, was amazing for me and a, and a training group that, that really, really yeah. worked. Oh, I've seen a lot of runners and different athletes go and there can also be a lot of distractions and some just don't mm. go on. Yeah. Some 
uh, end up staying in the United States. What are some of the dangers and how did you manage to avoid them? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's a, it's a big party culture over there and um, I think you can kind of get sucked into that pretty easily. Um, some of the athletes that go um, aren't actually going to improve their performance. They're just kind of using their sport Life to, get it, to get it to get a, a scholarship, get their um, university paid for, and yeah, the life experience, as you say, and and they're not um, perhaps got international goals or hmm. um, you know dreams to, to continue after the after university. Hmm. So there are those dangers, and um, I think so long as you're aware and so long as you you know your goals um, and you've got people around you who have similar goals, then you just hmm. sort of steer away from that. We just spent the previous part of this interview talking about periodisation and planning. Uh, one of the criticism I've heard from a lot of runners that go on scholarships is they're raced and almost race too much, racing yeah. every weekend. Is it the same in diving that there is a competition every week? And if so, how do you ever get the opportunity to make the adjustments to address the weaknesses to correct the mistakes from the week before. Yeah, I must admit that is one of the hardest things about the college system and um, that's probably where sometimes it's a way up of is it worth it because there are a lot of competitions and for me it was a it was a great opportunity to learn how to compete. Um, you know, I did a lot of work um, with our psychologists to, and, and you had so much so many competitions on that you got opportunity to practice all of that work, you know, on a weekly basis almost. So um from that point of view, it was it was brilliant. Um, sort of the the disadvantage of that is it it's pretty easy to run yourself down, and, and as you say, you've not got kind of that extended time to just train and work well, if on you're tired the new diets. Too, if you're tired, you often get into bad habits, and then if you're constantly doing it, you just reinforce those bad habits, don't you? Don't yes, you? yes, exactly, yeah. And so um, so that's where it can't go wrong. And to be honest, for me, it did. Um, after three years, I was I was just burnt out because you had. Your college, your college season, and then immediately afterwards you've got your international season, um, and then after your international season you're back into the college season. So there was never sort of an off season, and um, it's pretty hard to, you know, to go all out all year, hmm. back to back to back. And so it did take a toll on me, and um, I went through a few years of of burnout and having to kind of rebuild in that. And so if I could go back, I'd probably do it slightly differently. Um, hmm. But at the same time, I don't regret it because the amount of competition experience I got um, it still helps me to this day. Liam Stone, representative at the recent Commonwealth Games in the sport of diving, is my guest in studio. I love the people that text, and they always they always want to know the, <laughs> the the gory stuff. Chris yeah. wants to know worst injury seen hitting the water. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, yeah, there's you all a, would have done it. The danger of um, of the belly flop and the back splat, and um, you know, when when it goes wrong. From ten meter, I mean, it can go pretty bad. I mean, we had one of one of my teammates actually punctured his lung, um, wow. and and then of course you know there's the danger of hitting the board. I mean, I've I've hit the board, I've broken my arm, broken my foot. Luckily, haven't uh, hit my head, but that Greg Lagain is 1988. Yeah, yeah, everyone famously. remembers that, don't they? And then comes back with a ten, doesn't he? Lagain. Well, he or... came back and won gold. I yeah, think that's one yeah. of the greatest Olympic stories ever, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Well, I get it. It's one of the things that put diving really into, took it sort of mainstream a little bit. Sometimes it yep. requires a bit of adversity followed up by that Hollywood hero moment. And That's right. Sport yep. sort of breaks down some boundaries and doesn't just become a niche sport. Yeah. Yeah. It is 17, coming up to 16 minutes away from eight. If you've got a question um, for Liam, telephone number is 0800 150 811 is the number. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. 
12 minutes away from 8, thoroughly enjoying this hour. We've got Liam Stone in studio, just doing something slightly different, having a look at the sport of diving. You've got to say it's one of the coolest sports out there, isn't there? I, I think except, so. Except, yeah, well, Liam thinks so. I mean, none <laughs> like lawn bowls, though. If you sort of make a mistake in lawn bowls, there's no jeopardy. Uh, jump off a 10 metre and get it wrong. Yeah, ouch, ouch, ouch. Hey, look, if you've been listening and you're inspired by what you see, do check out Diving uh, NZ, divingnz.org.nz. That's the website, okay? They can take out the guesswork. They can uh, yeah, put you in touch with the right clubs and break this all down for you. And before you know it, you're leaping yourself off 10 metre cliffs. No, that's not... I, yeah, no, I'm being a bit naughty. Um, but it's a nice segue because one of the things that we've seen a lot now and hugely popular, and I find it fascinating, is the cliff diving. And it's been driven very much by a Red Bull, I think. And But they're not going off 10 metres. They're going up to 25 metres. Yeah. How is how is that seen by the diving community? Are, are they accepted or is that sort of seen as a bit of a rogue element? Oh, they have a huge amount of respect. I mean, you you wouldn't see many of us going up that high um and uh all of them started off as divers you know like us and um somewhere the, along the way they probably lost a few screws and <laughs> but they've all had to come through what you've come through they all come through a pure diving background don't they yep. to master the skills to understand the hydrodynamics the aerodynamics etc oh absolutely yep. and, and and the technique is all very much almost you know the same they land on their feet instead of their head um, and the dive, the way they do it is pretty much a dive off 10 metre and then they do what we call a barani out of it, which is a somersault yeah. with a half twist and they um, land on their feet. So I'd imagine that the athletes that are doing really well in that might not necessarily have established themselves in the traditional forms, the one mm. metre, three metre and also the platforms, but for whatever reason have found their niche at a higher, slightly more extreme form of it. Yeah, no, very correct, and therefore continue in the sport. Yeah, I mean, most of the um, most of the top guys in high diving weren't top guys in traditional diving, um, but as you say, they've they've, they've mm. found their niche there and doing very very well. The Olympic movement really looking two things they're looking for: they want to see sports where men and women compete together, um, but they're also looking for sport that is going to appeal to the youth. You know, they're they're keen on the evolution mm. progression. Um, clearly huge interest in cliff diving. Are we likely to see that become part of the diving program? And, yeah. and does it come under FINA? Yes, it does, yeah, and, and I believe we will. I think it's a matter of time. The big thing at the moment is just getting uh, the right amount of countries involved. You know, there's a limited amount of people who are willing to throw themselves off 27 metre. Um, but it's growing. It's growing exponentially, and I think it's a matter of time before we see it in the Olympics, and they've just added added it to um, the World Champs. So it's a FINA-recognised event at the World Champs. It's been going since, um, I think it was uh, uh, 2013 it had its first yeah. Um, debut. Yeah, And they'll be marked the same way you guys are marked? Yes. Is there a de- do they also have a degree of difficulty before they leap off those extraordinary heights? Yep, they do, they do. And they the way they do it is they have, I believe it's five dives. I could be wrong there, but I believe they do five dives, two easy ones and three hard ones. Mm. And... Um, yeah, sa- same. It's very same much get. urban, isn't it? Because they just take you to some of these really, really cool places. Uh, occasionally, they will build a scaffold, but a lot of the time, it's sometimes it's oh. actually off. Oh yeah, off yeah. the natural geography. Yeah, oh, it's just crazy where they go. I mean, I'd love to travel um, to some of the places they go mm. to, and and of course the Red Bull series, um, which is not FINA, that's mm. separate, but they they. Um, build some outstanding I think it's really good that FINA and the diving community have accepted it too because all you want is people getting involved look if you watch it and go on TV and go you know we know exports how big they are and there's always those crazy kids out there that have got that 
I don't know, death wish, I guess you can call it. But to get there, they've still got to come through your sport. Yes. They've still got to start in diving to learn the skills, and that's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. they get in and suddenly they go, actually, I'm really enjoying the one metre, the three metre, the 10 metre, the seven and a half metre, and the five metre platform. Yep, and we're encouraging it now. You know, if, if, if there are kids involved who sort of, you know, like the idea of getting into high diving, um, we're encouraging kind of going down that that route and um you know there's certain techniques we actually had a high diver come and train with us from germany and we actually learned some of the the uh different techniques just for the entry um so we actually now sometimes will teach that just for a bit of fun you know mm-hmm. so yeah, and we've got a, a new an american come new zealander who's doing quite well internationally we do yeah Bra- uh, Braden rampant rampant um and he's uh, got New Zealand citizenship. He's now competing, competing for us overseas in, in the high diving and doing very well. Mm. So it's quite cool to have a, mm. you know, a Kiwi out there. And in regards to just bringing it back to the traditional Olympic Commonwealth game diving uh, and what we see at the World Championships, um, how would you describe the depth in New Zealand diving at the moment? Oh, you know, and compared to some of the bigger nations um you know i mean china are the powerhouse but you know britain and mexico and things like that we're not there yet um but if we compare to where we were 10 20 years ago uh, it's just a whole different game i mean our our nationals now you know we've got over 100 kids competing um whereas you know back in when I was coming through, there might have been 20 or 30 of us. So um, the depth is growing. You know, we had our biggest team ever at the World Champs and Commonwealth Games. It's at seven. Um, and uh, we've probably got a similar number going to be going to the Junior World Champs uh, end of November. So, you know, it's it's exciting to see. And, and, and I kind of watch some of the younger kids train and I can see the talent. And um, similarly with the coaching, mm. I can see the talent in the coaching as well. So I think it's just a matter of time mm. before we see Kiwis mm. on the world stage diving all the time. Yeah, and how important is it someone like yourself or I know Lee gets to that Olympic Games? Hugely, hugely. I mean, we had, um, you know, Anton Down Jenkins last year finished eighth at the Olympic Games and he was our only competitor. Um, and um, that was great. That was huge for the sport. You know, that put us on the map a little bit. But we need to continue that, you know, and, mm. and if we can get another competitor there or, or, you know, several of us and have some good results, then that's going to inspire kids to uh, get involved. And that's how it happens. Mm. That's how we continue to grow. Now, divingnz.org.nz is the website, and we do encourage people to check it out. We do encourage people to, you know, maybe possibly look at putting their kids into diving or, um, I don't know, maybe if you've got a midlife crisis, thinking about possibly getting <laughs> in yourself. Um, I, I'm not one of them. Um, uh, anyone that you – opportunity, we've got about, I don't know, 30, 40 – anyone you'd like to thank? You've got sponsors or – No, well, I – I don't. I, I was. I was very lucky to get some sponsorship from the Black and White Golf Club um, for my recent um, trip to Europe. So I was very, very, very thankful for them for that. But um, yeah, no one, no one uh, sponsoring us just at the moment. But so many people to thank. Too many people to thank. Mum and dad. Mum and dad. Coaches. Who are um, your coaches? At the moment, Cordelia Norris, uh, Steve Gladding, James Hardacre. They've they're, they're the three main ones involved at the moment, and they've just been key for our recent successes here. Well, fantastic. Hey, look, all the very best in the over the next sort of six to eight months and lead up to those World Championships. And a lot of people will be hoping that you guys can qualify, not just you, but others can qualify for the Paris Olympic Games. Thank you very much. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Coming up after eight, we're going to continue with some water sports. We're going to talk some surf lifesaving. We're going to talk some baseball as well. And then after nine o'clock, we'll open the lines. We'll get opinionated. We'll go hard. 
see what you guys have got to say on some of the big sporting issues of the day. Eight o'clock, you're listening to SCNZ, Mark Watson with you, Ben Francis alongside of me. After nine o'clock, we will open the lines. Do want to get your thoughts on the starting, well, the team that's been named as the All Black 15, or the New Zealand A team that will also play two games in the Northern Hemisphere, while the All Blacks play Japan, Scotland, Wales and England. Also, just have a look at that All Black team. Crowd numbers over the weekend in Wellington. Not bad for the Wellington Phoenix, as you'd expect, first home game of the season. But MPC, 3,000 people, appalling. What does it say about the MPC? Uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup too. Got a few thoughts on that that I'd like to share and see if you guys uh, will engage with me. As I said, telephone number is 0800 uh, Ben Francis, um, what did you learn from um, Liam? Stone, I, I bring these guys in for you. You don't realise it, but indirectly I'm bringing them in for you. I want you to become a darts legend. And I've got these guys in to share their experiences because sport, the philosophy, the challenges generally are all the same. They just they use slightly different wording to describe them. Well, that's true, but I think also lots of sports, you know, you can, you can be good at your chosen sport, but definitely what I think what separates the the best from the rest is definitely the mental side of yeah. things. Yeah, you can tell he's a very, very bright guy, isn't he? Very bright, yeah, and you can see why he has become so successful. Uh, we will put that up on social media as well, that interview with New Zealand diving representative Liam Stone. Right, we're going to stick with the water theme now. We're going to talk the sport of surf lifesaving. I live out at Muriwai. Uh, we've got a big surf club out there. My kids are heavily involved in it, um, but it is just a hard sport. It's a cool sport, and what I love about it is that to be able to compete in the sports side of surf lifesaving, you have to be a lifeguard. You have to do your weekends on patrol, first and foremost, which what which is what then makes the community very, very cool. It's a very close community. You can take part in a whole lot of events against some of the best in the world, even if you're not particularly good at it. No one's going to embarrass you. They're just going to pat you on the back. They're going to congratulate you. Zach Franich from Northern Lifeguard Region joins us on the program to talk about the New Zealand Pool Championships that were staged over the weekend and also the recent World Surf Life Saving Championships that were held in Italy. Zach, good evening. Welcome. Evening, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, lovely. Um, where should we start? Where should we start? Zach, should we start with the pool champs from over the weekend? How did they go? Absolutely. So uh, we had over 400 competitors across three days of racing at the Owen Glen Aquatic Centre on Auckland's North Shore in Albany. Uh, and look, just a really great opportunity for clubs from around, from around the country uh, and their lifeguards to showcase their skills. Uh, and um, I guess, yeah, for them to put their best foot forward and, and show everyone else what they've been doing over winter and um, ultimately what they're doing in preparation to keep our beaches safe on uh, on our beaches over summer. Yeah, Zach, now we've had you on before, but maybe for people for listening the first time, the sport, the sport, sports events in the pool, very, very big in Europe. They're also part of the World Games, which is um, held every four years. The World Games are for non-Olympic sports. The Olympics for non-Olympic sports, but it's the pathway through to the Olympic Games. But all the events simulate rescue situations. So just take us through some of the events that the competitors were competing in. Yeah, that's right. So uh, a number of the events, uh, that they are yeah, simulated rescues. With um, they, A lot of them use mannequins, which uh, are 60 kilo weighted objects, um, which will see competitors swim down and dive uh, to the bottom, pick them up and, and ultimately swim with them. Um, 
I mean, 60 kilos trying to carry that to the water is uh, is pretty tough going. So in order to do that, you have to have incredible lower body strength, incredible stamina. Um, and it, it really is a, a, a pretty exciting feat to, to watch when, when you pull deck. Um, the speed some of these guys go down there. I mean, there's a number of Olympians uh, and ex-Olympians that are involved in the sport of pool rescue. And, um, you know, that, that really just attests to the caliber and um, the, I guess the physical attributes you need to excel in this space. So, you know, it's very exciting stuff to watch. And there's also the fins component as well. So I guess we affectionately, we affectionately refer to it as swimming with toys. Um, but some very fun toys as well. Um, the fins are the fins that people use, uh, similar to those you might see in in some of the uh, free diving events. Big fins, 60 centimeters long, up to 30 centimeters wide, and the power output these guys and girls can can use with these fins is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, because they'll from the with the fins over 50 meters, they'll stay in the water pretty much the entire 50 meters, and what they cover it in about what 17 or 18 seconds, I think, don't they? Yeah, 15 high, 16 low. Wow, wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's moving. It's rapid. It's, mm. it's rapid, really rapid. So, um, yeah. And you mentioned uh, former Olympians, so Stephen Kent I'm aware of, and I know Lewis Clairbird, everyone who will remember him from the Commonwealth Games this year, he was actually named in that New Zealand team to go to Italy but had to pull out due to injury. But it also shows that, you know, if Lewis Clairbert's taking part, he, you know, he, he clearly rates it. He, he clearly rates the level of competition and the prestige associated with it. Absolutely. There's also another Olympian in the wing, Zach Reed, who um, was in the wider squad and, and unfortunately didn't quite make the cut this time around. So, I mean, to have people, to have current Olympians who can't um, or who are trying to break their way into the senior squad against the test to the to the depth um, and the and the skills and I guess the physical attributes required to to make it at the top level. Yeah. And this has very much evolved, hasn't it, out of Europe, where a lot of countries are landlocked. They don't have the coastlines that we have here in New Zealand or Australia, but clearly uh, lifeguarding uh, is a big part of any community, particularly with swimming pools. And so this is very much a good way for the Europeans to be able to compete internationally. You know, you're right. And so over in Europe, we're looking at the likes of Germany, Italy, um, Poland, Belgium. They have really strong pool rescue programs. Uh, and, and and again, like the Italians in particular, uh, they they align quite closely with their with their swimming uh, with their Olympic swimming program. And at, at the recent World yeah. Championships, there are a number of swimmers on the blocks with the Olympic rings, yeah. uh, with the Olympic ring tattoos on on their bodies. So again, like the, the international caliber of athletes that that partake in this yeah. in this side of the sport is um, you're looking at the best in the world. Yeah. And it's, um, we're fortunate to have a very high very high standard of athlete in New Zealand who. Um, you know, jumps in the pool and gives it a crack. And uh, again, very exciting to watch. Mm. Who who were the standout achievers, or who were the standout athletes on the women's side over the weekend? Over the women, we had uh, had a couple of standouts. We had Ryan Kwan from Oriwa and Pippa Nickel from from Mount Maunganui. Um, between the two of them, they, they got a haul close to twenty medals. Um, including close to 10 national titles between the two of them. It was a bit of a funny pool rescue nationals this year, um, given that it was just off the back of the world champs. A lot of the junior and open teams uh, weren't in attendance um, due to them sort of taking the longer longer route back home to New Zealand. But um, in their absence, there was a lot of a lot of youngsters stepping out. We had a number of uh, age group records broken. Um, the likes of Jasper Corners from Red Beach had an outstanding weekend. Um, Jack Hanford from Oriwa, he broke about three under-15 New Zealand records. Um, Mackenzie Rowlands from East End, she had another great outstanding weekend. Um, so 
it was just a, with the absence of those older, more experienced, more seasoned campaigners that it, uh, created an opportunity for some of these youngsters to step up and ultimately put their best foot forward, which was very exciting to see and very encouraging. Mm. And what, who were the leading clubs? I know at the end of it all, you do sort of tally up the medal halls and there is a little bit of a, a ranking list and the clubs do like to be number one, two or three. Was it Who were the clubs Absolutely. that stood up? So the, after, after day one, uh, after the juniors, uh, racing on day one. Mount Monganui actually came out on, they were ahead in points, ahead of, uh, there was a whole host of clubs vying for the minor placings. Uh, days two and three saw seniors racing, which saw the likes of uh, Taranaki's East End and then Auckland clubs, Mining Bay, Red Beach and Oriwa, uh, really trying to take it to Mount Monganui across the across those, those final two days of racing. Uh, in the end, Mount Monganui were too good and they came out on top uh, with close to 180 points overall. Uh, second place was uh, taken by Red, uh, Auckland Club Red Beach uh, and Oriwa rounded out the top three. Um, but no, again, very very hotly contested uh, and bragging right, whenever bragging rights are on the line, everyone seems to put their best foot forward. So uh, ultimately an, an exciting weekend of racing. Um, which will lead us very nicely into the beach season. Yeah, now Zach Franich, my guest on the program, uh, athlete, great athlete in his own right. We are talking surf lifesaving. You want to mention that because generally Labour weekend, early November, we see uh, the beaches, we start to see the first patrols uh, go out and set up the flags and prevent people from drowning. But it also means that from a competition point of view, they get out of the pool and they start making their way onto the beaches and starting to do the outdoor side of the sport. Uh, so when are, the, when are the sort of first outdoor surf comps regattas? Well, some see local competitions kick off uh, in October and early November, um, but essentially all roads lead to the first, uh, well, first of the major competitions for the season, which will be the Whangamata Classic, uh, which will be at Whangamata Beach uh, in the in the second weekend of December. Uh, this year, this event's partnered with the very successful Summer of Surf Series in Australia, and this will be the first time, with our borders being open, open, we'll uh, get a chance to see some of Australia's best athletes come across and, and have a crack and, uh, for, the, for the young Kiwis to, to see some, some of the idols they look up to um, and follow on social media. Um, so that's something that the movement's really excited for. We'll be anticipating close to 500 athletes um, and, again, um, sure to attract New Zealand uh, and some of Australia's best, uh, best surf sports athletes. So um, all roads lead to that with, with the smaller comps uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, so okay, should be a good uh, should be a good few months. Yeah, okay, Zach, we had you on the program about a month ago and we previewed the World Surf Lifesaving Championships with a team of 10. Um, was it 10 or 12? Well, 14. 12, 12, yeah, 12 miles, sorry, six, six guys, six girls, my apologies. Team of 12 that went over to Italy. Um, they won the World Championships in 2012, 2014, and, well, no, was it, sorry, I'm getting 2 8, 2 10, 2 12, lost it in 2 16 to the 2 12, 2 14, 2 16, lost it in 2 18. So okay. they were, there you go, uh, Zach, thank you. Yeah. Uh, they were definitely. They'd put the they'd had those rocks under their pillows for the last few years, and the open team were very uh, very keen to uh, again size up the Aussies, who are generally the main their main competition. Um, this year, we saw fifty five different countries uh, partake in the in the World Champs um, across six days with the racing, three days in the pool, and then three days in the ocean. Um, we saw some outstanding performances from our New Zealand athletes. In total, the Opens took home six world titles. Uh, including uh, two world titles to Corey Taylor, who took out the Iron 
of the famed Iron Ironman race ahead of his Australian compatriot and the board and, and the uh, board race title. Daniel McKenzie, who was possibly one of our best surf sports athletes ever, um, took out the world ski title um, with Michael Hanna taking out the, the male beach sprint title. Um, over in the pool, it was not they didn't quite see the, have the success the, uh, they did on the ocean. The well, standout performances were uh, Chris Dawson, who took out the uh, 100 metres mannequin carry uh, in a time of 44 seconds. Wow! So, wow! Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, just phenomenal, uh, phenomenal performances from from our from our open athletes. Um, they unfortunately couldn't quite put the Aussies and finished second to them, um, but it was yeah, it was very 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 tightly fought, very hotly contested, um, and again. Really interested to see just who comes out of the woodwork. It was, it was fascinating to see what countries fielded um, fielded the athletes they did. Um, so looking across the beach, there was uh, the likes of the team from Egypt fielded uh, eight sprinters from the Olympic sprint program. Um, there were German and Czech kayakers who were lining up for their teams. Um, the Japanese were very, very quick in, in events. You might not expect them to be, be quick, and particularly in the board events. Um, the Spanish came with a very strong swimming contingent. The Italians have a world-class pool rescue program, as do the Germans. Uh, and the American, British, and French have some pretty exceptional and pretty handy athletes across uh, both uh, across both sides of the uh, the competition. So, uh, again, 55, 55 countries, uh, close to or north of 500 of the world's best and fittest lifeguards battling it out on Riccioni Beach. Uh, it was a so I, everyone was just really grateful to have international racing again. To be fair, mm. um, and for a lot of for a lot of our athletes, it was their, their final hit out. Uh, special mention goes to Steve Kent, who attended his seventh World Champs, uh, and what will be his final his final uh, his final hit out at a, at a World Championship level. Um, obviously, a former Olympian, um, he's now got a young family, so he's very much looking forward to hanging up the hang up the cap and the goggles and spend some more time at home. Mm, yeah, and, and we should just emphasise too that we finished second narrowly to the Australians again, but I, I want to say this to people, you know, behind cricket, I'll argue that Australia's national sport is surf life-saving. You've only got to go uh, to the Gold Coast, go to places like Burley this time of the year and the nippers programs and, you know, how big it is and what the Ironman means and the Uncle Toby's and the Kellogg series that have been taking place over the years. So um, there's no shame losing narrowly to the Aussies. Not at all, no. It's very much part of their fabric. I mean, you only have to go to one of the Gold Coast or walk along the Gold Coast uh, beaches and see their gigantic surf clubs. Um, but no, you're right, it very much is a part of their fabric, like it is ours, but um, them being so much bigger, the level of competition is, is that much higher. Uh, and um, I think historically, Kiwis, we've, we've fallen back on our tough grit and our number eight, what, number eight wire attitude, and that's got us across the line, a line a number of times. Uh, and now a few of those other countries, including Australia, have wisened up and are now doing things a lot smarter. So um, it's made the tough, it's made the task a little bit tougher. But um, I, I, uh, I wouldn't discount New Zealand moving forward for the next World Champs in 2024, which will be on the Gold Coast, a little bit closer to home. Uh, it should be, it should be a cracker. So. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's eyes are pointed forward, looking forward to having another crack at the uh, world title. And as I said, Zach, people listening to this, these athletes that we've just talked about, these athletes that just competed over the weekend, the more than 400 at the Pool Nationals, you're going to see them on your beaches because they're all lifeguards. Correct. All of them have to complete a minimum of 20 hours of voluntary service on their beaches across the 
uh, across New Zealand and for those who are residing in Australia uh, over over across uh, over in Australia across the ditch. But it is one of those uh, it is one of the uh, points of difference of our sport that I think really shapes our athletes into just great, well-rounded people, great role models, great role models, sorry, uh, and people who um, just understand what it what it means to be part of a sport and more than happy to give back. Mm. Um, very fortunate and. That's ultimately part of the reason why, uh, why why I love being in the sport and why I'm still involved. You'd feel pretty safe if you saw Lewis Clearbert patrolling the beach, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm not sure you could find many other people to get out to you quicker than, uh, than someone like Lewis. Um, but again, yeah, very. It's a very humbling sport. It's one of those. It's one of those sports where you can be the best person on the line, and given the conditions you're having to deal with, you might end up mm. last. So, mm. in order to deal with that adversity, you just have to have mm. exceptional resilience. And ultimately, be really humble and and um, become laser focused on your processes in order to you know execute the best race you can. So, um, yeah, prima donnas uh, pre- <laughs> prima donnas need not apply to be part of uh, surf lifesaving or pool rescue. That's um, it takes a special kind of person to excel in the sport. Now, rumor has it, Zach, you're making a comeback. <laughs> uh, I do have a pretty flexible rubber arm. Um, I uh, I was talking to a couple of people on the weekend. I, I didn't I didn't think I'd ever do it, but I might have a crack at some of the masters uh, some of the masters competition this year. Uh, anything to get myself back in and moving. But uh, I heard you might be putting a cap on as well, mate. Oh, I'm too busy watching my daughter. My daughter actually picked up two silvers and a bronze on Friday, actually from Uruguay. So we're really proud of her because she's still got another year left in the under twelve. So. Um, I have decided to put my hand up and coach the under-14 girls at uh, Murawai, so you might see me poolside. Excellent. Sounds good. Look forward to seeing you then. Now, hey, lovely to have you on the programme. Zach Franich there joining us uh, from Northern Lifeguard Services or from the Northern Region. And I just want to emphasise that to people. Look, if you're thinking about donating money, if you're thinking about being philanthropic, look at Surf Lifesaving, look at the surf clubs. It's amazing. I think it's disappointing that the government doesn't fund a lot of these um, organisations. You know, we shut the country down for two years because of COVID and um, the number of deaths that potentially could cause. Yet we had well over 100 drownings in one summer alone. It is 18 minutes after eight. You're listening to SENZ. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some baseball. Speaking of working class man, he is the GM of the Auckland Tuatara baseball franchise these days. They've also got a franchise in the National Basketball League. His name is Regan Wood. He's my guest on the programme. Regan, good evening. Welcome. Yeah, thanks very much. Working class man, Jimmy Barnes. I've got a Jimmy Barnes story, actually. Tell me the Jimmy Barnes story. No, tell me the Jimmy Barnes story, please, please. No, no. I have to tell you off record, but it involved a boat... Uh, and he was kind of bored with the boat that we were on because <laughs> we weren't as much fun. We were probably boring, so he jumped and swam across to another boat. That was more of a sort of party boat. It was about 20-odd years ago, but it was a, quite a hilarious story. There's a bit more colour to that, but it was just that kind oh, of like, Re- all right, guys, see you later. I'm going to this boat over here. There's a bigger party. Ciao. Regan, I'd imagine you probably dived in after him. No, no, no. I uh, I waved goodbye at that stage. Uh you know, as I said, you know, I'm a working class man. You're, a, hum- him, you're, you're, yeah. a, you're a humble man, Regal. Um, hey, look, um, the National, uh, sorry, the Australian Baseball League is going to get underway at the end of November. In regards to the Auckland Tuatara's roster, how is that starting to look? How is that starting to take shape? Yeah, we're, we're probably making an announcement tomorrow on um, some more guys that are joining us. So we, we, we. Um, 
you know, it, it's a point system. It's a salary cap. Um, you've got to work within those boundaries. Um, and and then you've got to put a competitive team uh, on the field. Um, this New Zealand dollar <laughs> falling out of bed is not helping anyone. What I can tell you that, you know, 500 US dollars is about, you know, 900 Kiwi at the moment. So you're like, oh, man, this is going killing me. But, um, yeah, look, we're, 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 we've got a pretty good roster stacked up. Um, I was just talking to a good friend. They call him the Motu Guru Sports or something. Dale Budge, something about he can comment on uh, Bathurst and uh, F1. But anyway, we were talking today and we were talking about the roster. And, and I think we're going to be right. I think we've got, we got some pretty good live arms. Um, you know, we've got the Texas Rangers are sending us players, the San Diego Padres, the Washington Nationals are sending us players. We'll have a player from the Mets. One from the Giants, one from the White Sox, the the, the Tigers, the Phillies, uh, and then you sort of float across into Asia, and we've got the the brothers in Taiwan ascending as players, the monkeys in Taiwan. We're um, off to Tokyo in a couple of weeks' time to sit down with the Giants in Tokyo. So yeah, I, I think we I think we're going to get some good players if they can all you know throw strikes, hit the ball. I think we'll be right. Yeah, look, I mean, success in baseball is very much around pitching depth. How much emphasis placed on that and how much control have you got in terms of the players those major league clubs do send? Yeah, look, the, um, you don't have a whole lot, you know. So you've got, you know, as you know from last time, the Rangers sent us some players and they were limited their innings. You know, velocity drops off, you send them home. But um, Kyle Lugowski is with us all year. Uh, he just made the Team, Aust- uh, team Australia. Uh, he's with us all year. So as opposed to him being limited, we can do whatever we need to do with Kyle. So... I'd imagine he will probably um, start, you know, every weekend, which would be great. Um, with the Padres ascending, it's a lefty and a righty, which is, you know, for the listeners, it's a left-handed pitcher, right-handed pitcher. The right-hand uh, pitcher is a guy called Chase, um, Walter Chase, or Chase Walter, rather, and he um, he uh, he just touched a bit over 100 mile an hour the other day, and he's about six foot eight. It's a pretty scary sort of character, as you can imagine. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty good. We've got, and then we've got some um, Taiwanese, and we got a, former major leaguer, as well as he pitched in the MPB in Japan. So, you know, we've got a bit of youth and we've got a little bit of experience there as well. And what about the independent leagues? We saw Jared Koenig um, come out of the independent leagues, performed brilliantly here two years ago, got signed by the A's, and this year ended up making his major league debuts, gone on and pitched 10 or 11 games for them. Um, I'd imagine that's probably sent a message, hey, look, you know, play in the A-League, play in the Australian Baseball League, and hey, the world's your oyster. Yeah, I'm sitting here as I'm talking and, and I'm looking and I've got this sort of big board and it's got different colours for players that are minus two, plus four and so forth and, and who are on there. Uh, unfortunately, you only select 22 players. But look, we've got a guy, uh, a guy called Hayden King, who's a left-handed pitcher and he works for the same personal trainer as Jared Koning did and Ian Koning, who's with the Padres. Yep. That's Jared's younger brother. Yeah, I've, I've met him. Yeah, nice guy. Uh, Right, okay, well, there you go. So, so the Conings reached out and said, look, you should have a look at this Hayden King. So we just spoke to the, uh, the, the trainer who trains the whole three of them, and he thinks that Hayden could be the best out of the three. But, you know, hey, Jared's made the majors. So he's going to be joining us, and he's a, he's a left-handed pitcher, a little bit like Jared. So we got him out of um, – he was with the Giants but got released. Effectively, we've got him out of um, independent baseball. But we had um, – I had three other guys that were lined up and one got signed by the Brewers, another one got signed by the White Sox and the other one is going down to Mexico where he's earning uh, 15000 US dollars a month, which is about 
I know, 25000 or 75000 for the three months. Pretty good money, really, eh? Mm, yeah, not bad at all. Just take us through the points system, uh, because it is an interesting one. They do use it in basketball as well, and this just stops, um, along with the salary cap, this just basically stops one team from having a bit of a monopoly and making sure that you also have a flavour of local players. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. I think the model's really good. Um, you know, you can tweak with it here and there, but effectively for your listeners, you've got a Kiwi or Australians are minus two. If they're on a national squad, they then become a minus one. But then you've got, if someone's a former major leaguer, well then, and that can be in Japan or it can be in Taiwan or it can be in America, they're a zero if they've had five years at that major league level. And then if they're an Asian player, they're a plus one. And then if they're an affiliate, so that's uh, like the Rangers or the Padres, they're all a plus two. And then if they're an independent, so that means they're being released out of uh, affiliate baseball, or they've never been signed, they're a plus four. So we only have 15 points to play with, and you kind of go, well, it's not many, but you've got seven Kiwis, you're at minus you know, 14 or, or eight, and you're minus 16, you throw in you know, five Asians in there, you've got five points, a couple of zeros, because they're really important, one Indy, two Indies, and so forth, and you've got, these, you've got this sort of 15 points to play with. So, um, yeah, it's a good system, to, as, as you pointed out, to make sure that People just don't go and buy the New York Yankees, or maybe maybe it's the New York Mets at the moment because those guys are probably available. But um, the or they blow up the salary cap, so it's a nice check because you know salary cap rorts do happen, and I'm not for a moment suggesting they are happening, but they do happen. So it's just another way of sort of trying to keep a bit of a balance. Mm. And what about New Zealand depth? How many New Zealand players do you think you will sign? And realistic, how many of those players will actually sort of maybe? consistently or regularly feature? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we'll probably, you know, around that seven Kiwis will be on our 22. Now, that might go up or down depending on injuries and and what's going on. But, you know, if you look at, um, you've got Jason Matthews, who's a great story out of South Auckland, goes to school in America, then goes, uh, gets an upgrade in schools, gets a D1, full scholarship and so forth like that. Now, his family sacrificed to help him, but you know we would expect him to play every game. And he's with the Chicago White Sox. And what so, position, and did, really what, what nice position does he play? He'll play second base, he'll play um, shortstop, he'll play third base. But yeah, right now at the moment, Minsley's going, well, you know, we, we give him a, a first opening game, he's in at shortstop. So, you know, he'll play every, every week. And that's a Kiwi. Um, You've got Jack Barry from Australia. Now, he wants to become a Kiwi, like, you know, like everyone wants to. Anyway, but, but you know, so you've got these Kiwis and Australians. But, you know, Kyle will be pitching every series. Um, young Clayton Campbell, um, he's with the, the Tigers. Um, and he's only a young guy. So he, he will be playing that sort of role of bit of catching, bit of first base, bit of third base, a little bit of outfield, come on for a hit. Um, so the, the Tigers are very keen for, for us to, to have him around, you know, good quality young men. Um, Andrew Mark, you know, fan favourite, one of your favourites. Unfortunately, he's busted his wrist, so he won't be back this year. But then we've got, um, you know, into your Elliot Johnsons and your, your Ben Thompsons and so forth. Um, uh, so, yeah, we'll have um, a good sprinkle of Kiwis. And there's a whole lot of it, other Kiwis that we'll be looking at to, to add, you know, uh, when an injury happens. And what about any word on downtown Max Brown? Max Brown, he's very keen. I said, Max, accommodation's a bit expensive. We have to put you in a tent, uh, maybe on the outer <laughs> oval. Oh, he wouldn't have any, he he wouldn't have any problem camping. with that, would he? 
No, no, not at all. Oh. Um, and he did really well in the in the WBC, right, in the World Baseball Classic. Mm. He um, he got three or four hits or something like that, which was super impressive. Mm. But yeah, Max Brown's on the list here. Yeah, no, Regan Wood, the GM of the Auckland Tuatara baseball team, is my guest on the program. Let's talk about the coaching staff. Steve Mintz back as GM. Darren Bragg, what, back as a hitting coach? Yeah, Darren will be hitting coach. And also he works some of those younger Kiwis, you know, so we can have some, we're allowed five development players. So he's really keen to work with those kids. Uh, and then we've got a guy called uh, Robbie Price or Robert Price or Robbie, uh, and he's out of the Padres. And he's a pitching coach, but he comes from a different background as opposed to traditional baseball pitching. He's more of a strength and conditioning movement. So he just looks at things differently. Um, the Nationals, uh, the Washington Nationals are sending out a coach as well. Um, and they haven't named that coach yet, um, or, or, or it hasn't made it to me yet, but um, they're definitely sending out two players and a coach as well, which is great. And then we've got another guy called uh, Frank Fister, but I can't help with going Frankie Fister because I think it's a brilliant name. And he was um, a mental skills coach for the Cincinnati Reds. So, you know, he's a really interesting guy because he will look at things differently. And I think, you know, these young guys that we have in our team will actually benefit from having that, that that person that asks questions and helps these guys go through those little you know mm. get out those little humps that they do as as young athletes. Mm. Now, based on my um, baseballing ability, I would come into the roster at a minus ten. I have an exemption; they've agreed that I'm a minus ten. That much of a liability, I, I yeah, I sort of back myself at third base. Yeah, no, I like that. My my youngest son said to me, he said, "Look, if I trained and I did everything, do you think I could make it?" I said, "No." <laughs> and he's like, Are but, you... I, "But I'll be a minus two. and I said, "No." Forget about it. Move on. Yeah, but you're not implying that would be the case with me, are you? No, well, yeah, I would be, actually. Yeah. What I, um, you'd make a great mascot, though. You don't really want to be a... Don't really, what was that? You'd make a great yeah. mascot. I don't want to be a mascot. I want, I want to be a player. I want to sell it. I, I want to sell the dream. I want to do the Kim walk-off. Nice. Yeah, Kim Wonsark. I did watch it. Though. I did see that that was against uh, New South Wales. And I sent uh, that little video it's on YouTube there, and I sent that to someone the other day, uh, just simply because that was one of those uh, great days in sport. Mm. And you called that water. Oh, yeah, a little bit over the top. I've sort of toned it down a bit. I finally got my head around that game finally, mate. It took me about 20-odd games, oh, but I, I sort of feel like I'm in a good place with it at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. All right. No, I look forward to those dulcet tones then. Here we yeah. go. Hey, um, Regan, lovely to have you on the program. Um, just a message to the Tuatara faithful. Oh yeah, look, we 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 will we'll have a competitive team on the park. There'll be some new faces. Um, you know, we 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 try to bring back some of the old faces, but in, a couple of injuries have uh, you know put paid to that. But um, yeah, we'll be right. We same product. I do have the um, Avida uh, retirement homes are sponsoring our dancing granny, so we'll we'll have a few things to giggle at and laugh at, and we'll have some baseball as well. Brilliant, the dancing grannies. Eh? looking forward to that. Fantastic. Yeah, there you go. There All right, you go. playing third base. Granny's in the outfield, Mac, Max Brown camping in the outer oval. It's beautiful stuff, and isn't you, it? And you on the mound pitching. Brilliant. Not so much. I, th- I think we'll avoid that. We could, no, rather than a baseball but team. But you'll be pleased, though. I'm going to be fasting for the next three days. Say that again? I'm going to be fasting for the next three days. Why is that? Well, you know, just in case, you know, make sure the immune systems are working well. Who knows what could happen, right? Oh, you need to be looking after yourself. Well, I'm going to Tokyo. I'm going to Tokyo oh. on the twentieth. We haven't got a trial up there with what? the Japanese. So, so that with the um, Nippon Steel was allowing us to use their stadium, 
um, the city of Shiva is hosting us, and we're we're looking for some uh, Japanese talent. Yeah, to come no, in so as well. I lived up there for three years when I was eighteen, nineteen. Always remember the Hanshin Tigers with Hideo Nomo, who really became probably the first big signing out of Japan with that unorthodox pitching style. Uh, with LA, mm-hmm. with LA, okay. and uh, yeah, I always remember that it was always um, very much Tokyo Giants were the number one team, and then there was the Hanshin Tigers, and yeah, no, it's fascinating. Love them, love the Japanese baseball. People forget it's a national sport up there. Oh yeah, and they're pretty passionate about it too. So they are very, and it's really interesting the fact that we're going out there to have this trial. So the idea is mm-hmm. look at some of these players with a view of you know when when uh, some of the pitchers get a little bit of fatigue, we can be able to bring some of them in a little bit later on, but um. The uh, but the Japanese are very uh, grateful the fact that we turn up, right? They feel that they are um, very privileged that we would turn up because Steve Mintz is going to meet us here, so he'll fly in from America, and I'll meet him in Tokyo, and we'll do this, and then, then we'll fly back to Auckland together. But I said, look, you know, we're, we're the privileged one because you've invited us up here and you're hosting us. Mm, mm. You just behave on that sake, Regan. Don't want any. Don't, <laughs> I can eat as much as I like when I get there. Don't want any Jimmy Barnes stories, mate. No, no, that's right. Well, yeah, when you get off here, I'll tell you the whole story. All right, see ya. <laughs> Regan, t- thank you. The GM there of the Auckland Tuatara, Regan Wood, based out of Wellington, and done a great job too this year as well with the Tuatara basketball franchise, which ended up making the final, ended up losing to the Otago Nuggets in their first season. But uh, yeah, one of the best operators going too. Uh, full of life, full of character, Regan, but genuine and a sharp operator. And a lot of other sports organisations could learn a thing or two from him. 21 and a half minutes away from 9 o'clock, you're listening to SEN. Zed. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. If you're looking at the Kiwi front row, you look at Liotta. He was the best front row. Some Paolo and Tini very much got that sort of Jimmy Cocker, Joe Cocker, I should say, feel about it. A bit of Jimmy Barnes and some of the stuff that he does sing. Boy, you'd swear it's Robert Plant. You'd swear it's sort of the bluesy Led Zeppelin songs of yesteryear. Remarkable talent, this guy. Remarkable talent. Ben, how do you spell his name for people out there listening? Paolo is P-A-O-L-O. Yep. Nutini is N-U. And it's Nutini, is it? N-U, yeah. <laughs> Nutini or Intini? Nutini. Nutini. And he's Scottish, believe it or not. N-U, uh, N-U-T-I-N-I. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Are you listening to SENZ? Look, coming up after um, 9 o'clock, we'll open the lines. I want to get people's thoughts on this New Zealand 15 team that has been named. Um, some interesting um, omissions, I guess, is probably the best way of summing it up. Players that haven't made it, the big talking point has been Sean Stevenson uh, for North Harbour. Reminds me a lot like James Lowe. There has been rumours that potentially he might have signed a rugby league contract and that might be the reason that he hasn't been picked yet. I've spoken to others and said, no, that's not the case. I struggle with the fact that we still go and put a guy like Angus Ta'aval into this New Zealand 15. We already know what he can do and he doesn't do much. Surely give another player opportunity. This will probably upset Graham in Christchurch, but there's a hell of a lot of Crusaders in this New Zealand 15 and the forwards. Now remember, it was the three all-black coaches that picked this team. Yes, Canterbury Crusaders, arguably the best team in the country, but that doesn't necessarily mean every player is the best player in the country. Um... 
I'd like to get people's thoughts on some of these players that have made it. I'll be honest, I don't know much about Christian Leo Willie. I don't know a lot about Finlay Brewis. Never really thought Oli Jaeger was good enough. And I'm not sure you're going to take players that don't have the ability to take the step up into the all-black jersey. Cam Roygaard, interesting choice at halfback. The one that I'm thrilled about is Alex Nankerville. But why would you put a 33-year-old Bryce Heem in this team? But it's that old question, isn't it? Well, if you leave him out, who do you put in? And what midfield stocks do we actually have available at the moment with so many injuries? Um, Balen Sullivan in the side, wonderful midfield player. I was probably surprised his brother didn't get in. Zahn Sullivan. AJ Lamb. Mark Talia. Yeah, probably deserved. On the all-black side of things, we have got zero depth outside of what we've picked. We're saying that we still believe Dane Coles and Cody Taylor are going to be good enough hookers next year for the World Cup in November of next year. I would have still taken a Safa Amour. You cannot understand why you're going to take Anton Leonard Brown. He simply played no rugby. So what benefit is it taking him? I would have rather taken Alex Nankerville, given him an opportunity. And Roger Tuivasa-Shek, how can you have him in the All Blacks and you can't have Sean Stevenson even in the New Zealand 15? What has he done wrong? Is this another James Lowe scenario? Going to end up going offshore and then we wonder why suddenly we've got no depth. We ask players to stay in this country, be the best they can be. There is a pathway through to the top. player like Stevenson doesn't yet can't get picked. Stephen Perifetta comes in in the first 5-8 as the third string first five for the All Blacks. He's had 57 seconds of rugby. little much the odd moment for Taranaki in the MPC. But surely he'd be better in the All Black 15 and playing both games at first five, give him some game time. Anyway, we will look at that after nine o'clock. I do want to get your thoughts too on the Women's Rugby World Cup. Uh, I've got a few thoughts on the crowd numbers, uh, the standard of the rugby, what I liked about it and what perhaps I didn't like about it. But I want you to be part of the programme. Telephone number 0800 Six and a half minutes away from nine, Michael Holdsworth texting in, been enjoying the Women's Rugby World Cup and Spark Sport coverage. Well done. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Mark, what happened to Braden Curry in the Hawaii Ironman? I didn't see him in the results. Yeah, no, Braden picked up COVID 
Um, we spoke to him on Monday, and then he picked up a virus of some sort um, and came out on Instagram, uh, I think the night or two days before the race, pretty much in tears, saying, look, there's, yeah, I just haven't been able to shake it. Um, I won't be on the start line. But, you know, he did get on the start line. He did the swim, got to about 40k on the bike, and, uh, yeah, it was well below his best. And so really disappointing for Braden because he's probably been in his best Ironman form in the last two years. And, of course, COVID has stopped the Hawaiian Ironman, so now he's got to wait another 12 months. But you also got to understand the level of training these guys put in. They're frail anyway. Their nervous systems have hammered. You know, it's a fine line between being bulletproof and sort of um, not being well. But uh, class act, that's all I'll say about Braden. Um What I'll also say here, Roger Tui versus Sheik uh, will go to the World Cup. It's written in his contract, as was Sonny Bill. Shouldn't be going. Well done to Sky TV. Agree a wide-ranging rights deal. And World Rugby to acquire Rugby Pass. So some good texts coming in. We will open the lines after 9 o'clock and we'll take your calls on 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. Oh, I've got to keep talking to Oh, Sky, I thought we were sorry. Still got another... 20-odd seconds, my apologies. Um, yeah, so let's have a look at the All Black team that was named. Let's have a look at the New Zealand 15 that was named. I want to touch on Shane Van Gisbergen. What a class act. What a driver. What an X-factor. The way he conducts himself. Um, the consummate professional. Brilliant. Love the last hour of Bathurst last night. I think it's one of the best things in sport to watch. It reminds me of the back nine of a major golfing tournament uh, when everything seems to happen. And suddenly all the previous three days are forgotten or become suddenly a little bit irrelevant. Anything else you wish to discuss too, we will open the lines. Talk to you shortly. It is four and a half minutes away from nine. 9pm, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone number is 0800 150 This is our talkback hour. The lines are open. Love to hear from you. number of issues that I do want to discuss. 0800 150 Mark Watson with you. Ben Francis alongside of me. Ben, did you watch any of the Women's World Cup on Saturday, Sunday? No, because I don't have Spark Sport. Okay, fair enough. And I and because I was uh, busy busy working as well, which is also a contributing factor. I didn't watch it out of protest because I'm sick and tired of being told by the left wing what I should be watching, and the consequences of who I am if I don't watch, and being labelled something that I'm not for not watching. Uh, interesting that an article today. And the head of the Women's Rugby World Cup saying Eden Park was a sellout, but 6,000 people didn't bother turning up. Looking at the crowd for the New Zealand-Australia game, there were a lot more empty seats than just 6,000. I would have thought when it was all said and done, that main game probably had twenty-five to 30,000 people at it, which is a great, great crowd. I'm not sure why they are so desperate to convince us that it was a sellout. Why this need to convince us that women's rugby is on par with the men and it's finally got parity? Because it's not. But a crowd of twenty five to 30,000 is something they should be incredibly proud of. Stop politicising everything. Stop manufacturing everything. Stop telling me what I should be watching. Stop 
skewing the statistics. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one. Who watched it? What did you make of it? What did you make of the standard of the rugby? One thing I will say with the women's game that I do enjoy is when they set piece scrum time, you never really ever see a reset scrum. It reminds me of rugby, the good old days. Front rows come together, the ball gets put in, the ball comes out and play gets back underway. So not a bad crowd at Eden Park. Far from the sellout. Maybe because the number of people watched the earlier games and that's where their allegiances were and then they did go home. But also priced very, very cheaply too. So there's plenty of incentive to people to go along too. Again, if it was on par with the men's game, as it'll have us all believe, the prices would have been a lot higher. Because when there's high demand limited product, basic economics, you can push the price up. I'm, like I say, thrilled that they got 25, 30,000 people along. Pleased that women's rugby is starting to get some momentum here, that it's starting to organically grow. But as I said, my frustration is everything becomes political, all in the name of equality and equity and this sort of social engineering, which I think this government's done a good job on. Crowds weren't so good in Whangarei, though, were they, for the games that didn't involve New Zealand? And I think the other thing that holds this tournament back is it's pretty clear that England, France and New Zealand are clearly better than the rest. There are only really three teams that can probably win this Women's Rugby World Cup of the 12 That will change in time. These other countries will get better. But again, don't try and manufacture and try and tell us that there is greater parity across the teams than perhaps there is. That's all I'm saying. Take the politics out of it. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. Those that turn up, good on you. Those that don't, hey, let's not label you as a chauvinist or as sexist or as a pig or whatever else you want to describe. Let's be honest. Male sports fans who don't necessarily go and support a lot of women's sport. 0800 is the number. I do want to just chat on the All Black squads to face Japan. All Black team, somewhat concerning. Uh, Dane Coles, Cody Taylor still named as your two hookers. Not sure that either of them are an alternative to Samasoni Takiaho if he should get injured. But they're clearly the three hookers they want to take through to the World Cup. Struggling with the fact that Anton Leonard Brown is in this all-black team, hasn't played any rugby, why would you? Why would you take him? Surely, Levi Amor, Alex Nankerville, Balin Sullivan would have been a better option. Roger Tuivasa-Shek, what is it about this guy? He's not a great second 5'8", he's not a great rugby player. He certainly doesn't offer the utility factor 
he can make the All Blacks, yet Sean Stevenson can't even make the All Blacks 15 squad. Outside backs for that New Zealand 15, AJ Lamb, Ruben Love and Mark Talia. Ruben Love over Sean Stevenson, AJ Lamb over Sean Stevenson? Yeah, not convinced. We don't have a lot of depth, do we, at first 5-8 if Bryn Gatlin's making the starting lineup, I think he's just a good, solid journeyman. And I know Graham's phoned through the programme, so I'm going to get his thoughts on this, but there seems to be a really, really heavy Canterbury influence within the forwards that have been picked for this 15. Is that because they are the best in the country? Or is our forwards coach Ryan, Jason Ryan, I wouldn't say Canterbury bias here, but he clearly knows those players perhaps better than some of the other players around the country. And therefore, maybe some of the other players they haven't done as much due diligence on. 0800-150-811 is the number. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. I just wanted to talk a bit about motorsport, and, and I was very impressed by the Bathurst 1000 race on the weekend, although you might as well call that the Rally New Zealand concerning how much water was on the track and the number of people who were skidding out and off the track. I mean, it's like they called off a number of events like the shootout and other races, but all in all, I thought it was a pretty good race, all the conditions considered. Oh, I thought Fat Gisbergen was bulletproof. I mean, that guy pretty much led for most of the day. How often do you see that at Bathurst? Uh, you know, oh, had, some, right. had some gearbox issues, picked up a penalty and stuff. But, you, you know, like I struggle with Formula One because it's not the best drivers. Um, you can buy no. your drive in Formula One. But, you know, these cars are so even that what you do see in, what you do see in the supercars, you, see, you, you genuinely see the influence of the best drivers. Oh, absolutely. And also along those lines, uh, I was very impressed with the rally New Zealand held recently where a guy from Finland, Calais Rovanpera, yep. won that rally and, and that effectively gets in the world championship. And ironically enough, his dad, Harry, uh, won the rally New Zealand in 2002. Oh, it's great, isn't it? It's great that you... Um... It is. Yeah, but it's great that you do have those father and son combinations and, you know, one generation leads to the next because uh, it's not always the case. Some kids want to have oh, nothing absolutely. to do with the sport their parents play. Yeah, well, um, I mean, having lived in New Zealand myself for some years, you know, rallying has always been my favourite uh, type of motorsport besides motorbike racing because, um, you know, there's just something absolutely New Zealand about it when um, drivers go at it in New Zealand because, you know, um, the... Natural countryside of New Zealand is just so um, suit suitable for rallying. And I met Possum Bourne a number of years ago before he passed, and he was a top-class guy. And he was a major reason I got into rallying because he was just a typical Kiwi guy, you know, um, loved motor racing, loved New Zealand, and was down-to-earth, humble, and loved his fans. And I reckon New Zealand is really, really well suited for rallying. And if they can develop uh, rally drivers with potential like Possum Bourne, I reckon we could really put New Zealand rally drivers on the map. Yeah, look, it's surprising, isn't it, that um, you know Hayden Patton and, um, has been really sort of the sole choice. When you look at the gravel roads in this country and um, you look at just 
yeah, the back country, you know, people will say when the rally historically was always held here in New Zealand, you know, going back in the 1990s, that they said, look, New Zealand's yep. got the best rally roads in the world. Um, oh, but, but it's a little bit like anything, isn't it? I still think motorsport, to a large degree, it comes down to who's got the money, who's got the budget, uh, who's in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, it's not like it's it, you know it's not like tennis where the best player becomes the number one in the world. I'm not sure that's still in a lot of motorsport. The best driver always, um, you know, probably some of the best drivers are driving in the world are probably never been heard of because they're driving in lower tiers of competition because yeah, that's just the way the politics and the economics have played out. Yeah, but it just seems with uh, rallying, like anybody, for, like it's not like Formula One where those people with the most money are the only ones who get kind of mm. in. You know, it just seems that there's a lot of people from like the ground up, you know, like people who don't have much to uh, rich, you know, shall we say, rallying teams like maybe Hyundai or Toyota. Anybody can have a go and anybody can make a go of it, um, mm. especially, especially in New Zealand because um, New Zealand is, it, it's like, New Zealand being suited to the Lord of the Rings uh, movies being filmed there. New mm. Zealand is just so suitable for rallying. Mm. Yeah. No, hey, lovely to have you on the program, too, and I'm pleased you did bring up the motorsport uh, because I did want to touch on Shane Van Gisbergen. Uh, what a class act. 19 race wins this year. Uh, certainly deserves to be in the conversation for the Halberg Awards. Uh, isn't it amazing the depth of New Zealand sport at the moment when you've got Scotty McLaughlin, Scotty Dixon, um, and so many drivers... Um, right around the world, you know, being involved, um, Earl Bamba, uh, drivers like that, winning Le Mans 24. You know, Le Mans is one of those, you know, it's considered part of the Triple Crown, Monaco, Le Mans. Um, Monaco, Le Mans and the Indianapolis 500 are the Triple Crown of motorsport. And, you know, we've got a pretty strong point of view at the moment and certainly two out of the three. Twelve and a half minutes after nine, oh eight hundred. One five zero eight double one is the number. Graham, good evening, welcome. Oh, good day, Mark. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, it was a good call by um, Mark. Was it Mark? Yeah. yeah. But I don't follow motor racing, but yeah, and Possum Born, he died far too early. I don't. Mm. I just remember him being just such a great man of the people when you've seen him on TV, and uh, yeah, it's just great. Uh, what, what I will say about motorsport and drivers, they understand the business, they understand the sponsorship, they understand where the money comes from and their ability to go out of their way and build their fan base and therefore directly or indirectly leverage particular brands. I tell you what, a lot more other sports people and uh, sportsmen could learn from it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. Yeah, and I think that's, um, yeah, I mean, you, I couldn't make that observation, but, um, you know, as much as, you know, as much uh, knowledge as you, but, yeah, no, I mean, I was talking about Boston Bourne and, yeah, and what he's, uh, Mark was saying, you know, about events, and we do have that great countryside, and, um, yeah, no. Well, I mean, the great, but, one but, of the great stages in rallying back in the 1990s was the Motu stage. Uh, you know, down yeah. there on the down there on the east coast of the North Island. You know, the old Motu stage. It was sort of almost that's world right. famous. You know, you're going to drive the Motu. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. Not without its uh, perils, but yeah, no. It's um, no good on them. You know, and all power to them. Hope they go forward and up, you know, onwards and upwards. But yeah, onto the uh, about women's rugby and the um, New Zealand A. Yeah, I mean the women. Uh, firstly, about the women's rugby. Yeah, I mean great. You know, what I think. Just celebrate the crowd, you know, that we, that we got, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, rather than, as you say... Manipulating it. Politicise. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and also they put it in the hands of the corporates, um, you know, so, I um, mean, I know that yeah. but, with, with rugby, men's rugby, you know, 
is a crowd number that's given as five thousand, but it's three, because once you what they, you know, it's all about pandering to the corporates at top level rugby, and um, uh, you know, and I don't, I mean. I can't. I don't want to make accusations on here about you know who actually bought tickets. But well, but and, the other you know, thing, the other thing is Grant. The other thing is Grant. Tickets are ten bucks, man. I mean, it's not like it's expensive to get in. I mean, it's so cost affordable. No. You'd expect a lot of people to turn up. It's a World Cup. It's had yep. so much media coverage here, uh, more than yep. I think it deserves. And so, of course, you should get a decent crowd along. The fact it still wasn't a sellout. I'd say it was twenty-five to thirty thousand. I think there was way more than six thousand that didn't turn up. Um, yeah, just leave. For what it is, it's still it's still look. It's twenty five thousand more people than they would have got twenty years ago. Enjoy it. It, it. It's on its way up, but don't tell me it's there. Don't shove it down my throat and tell me that it's as important as the men's. Don't tell me if they win this World Cup, suddenly they're the automatic winners of the Helberg Award. When really there's only France and Great Britain or England who are going to challenge them. Don't do that. But they will do that because that's the environment we live in. Exactly. And, you know, we know that all black tickets are, you know, overpriced mm. on the other side of things. And, you know, and these guys are not desperate because, I mean, they get all the media, uh, well, a great deal of the media coverage. And, you know, it was a great win. And, you know, for the people that were there, it was a great crowd. And, you know, I'm pleased for... Oh, hey, Mount Abbott Grammar's finest and Portia Woodman, you know. We can't, oh, Portia, can't not, you, can't, you can't not mention her, Graham. <laughs> Porsche, I'll say man of the match, a woman of the match, yeah, or person of the well, match. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, when, yeah. when you say, but see, that's the funny thing is you can go, oh, man of the match, how dare you call a man of the match? Well, but that's just a saying and a phrase. I don't say, that, that, in a, I don't say that in a derogatory way. No, I, no, I'm no, sorry, no, no, no. You say it with the greatest respect. You know, she was the best player on the field. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I could say, hey, the, yeah, player of yeah, the match. Yeah, I know, no, she was brilliant. And just to f- bring in those sevens players that um, Wayne Smith did, um, you know, it's worked a treat because, uh, you know, with what they had and what he'd sort of built up with, the, with his coaching team. But on the uh, New Zealand A, yeah, I heard, you know, I heard you, obviously your comments about Jason Wright. Well, it didn't do Tom Christie much good, but um, that's what I'd have to say. But, I mean, I thought he was very unlucky um, not to be in that New Zealand A environment. Um, See, I, 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 be... I don't know much about Finlay Brewis at all, mate. Tell me about him. Oh, I know. Well, he's, well, he's played, you know, he's played a bit for Canterbury and the Crusaders, yeah, but he's there and... Um, how much? I mean, they're playing two games. I mean, I mm. said earlier to Kirsty and um, Stephen Donald, you know, I mean, <laughs> with the amount of players they got over there, you know, they're going to be cross pollinisation between See? these between these two teams. And I, you know, that I, I mean, they got, it's a big squad, and I don't start, I mean, he's a good. He is a very good prop, Finlay Bruce, with a lot of potential and. Um, but yeah, no, um, you know what, you know they're going to be a good experience for them. But you know, in terms of game time, I mean, I think uh, Dominic Gardner and Zach Gallagher, um, you know, are two very promising players. I think deserve their selection. And, yeah, but um, see, but see, I, I'm not convinced on Ollie Jaeger. I think he's good. I think he's solid. I don't think there's X factor about him. I think he's he's yeah. You can't criticise yeah. him. But uh, yeah, I say look, I, I and look, I, I I think let's have the rugby discussion. Let's bring back the argument around Canterbury bias now because Graham it's what rugby needs we need people talking about the damn game we need people debating saying Graham this team is full of Canterburyans because you've got a Canterbury coach now we might be miles away from the truth but wouldn't it just be nice to get back to that Auckland Canterbury stuff I mean 3,000 people turned up to watch damn Wellington on the weekend I mean that is appalling for a quarter final game and part of the reason for that is because no longer we have this banter between us uh, Graham 
Well, I know that. You know, and I, you know, I think I said to you last week or the week before. Um, you know, you know, even here in Christchurch, you know, people talk about the All Blacks all this, and they're not really rugby people. They're nice people yeah. that they think, oh, you're a great, great rugby fan. But, you know, but they don't. But they go, oh, well, I go, oh, well, I'm happy because you know, and the All Blacks have lost. So they're supposed to want to jump off a cliff. But you know, but in the old days. The All Blacks did actually lose quite a lot of tests. You know, mm. you go through the 70s, and that was before the, and in 77, 76, I think the MPC started. You know, um, but before, you know, it wasn't always, you know, people think, oh, it's all in about the black jersey and the silver firm, but a lot of it is corporate hype. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's not actually about, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to things like that, but um, yeah, it wasn't always about that, and that's what, you know, that's the way it's gone, but, yeah, but, yeah, on the selection, you know, um, yeah, I agree with you about we need more, we need more banter, I mean, less with you and I, <coughs> we, we do that, but oh. I think Christie is a good player, I really yeah, do, and, yeah, but, you know, I just... but, I, but I also think it's part of the Sam Kane triple, trickle-down theory, I've yeah. got to say, yeah. I think every number seven, including Lachlan Boshier, he's gone overseas, and, and previously Matt Toddy, Logged away brilliantly for the Crusaders in Canterbury, and now you got this new batch um, but, but coming see, through. But, but so, I mean, they're all going to be held back and severe. They say the number eight now yeah. because you've got to you've got to have Sam yeah. Kane as captain. No, but see, see, but see the other the other boss here, not Lachlan, who's the uh, boss here that's currently playing. Sorry, uh, forget his first name. Yeah, Callum. Yeah, Ke- Ke- sorry, Callum Boshier. Now, to me. Yeah. Um, he's he's a quality player. Now, why can't uh, why can't he end up? Been in this mix, um, you know. What is it with the Boshiers? What what do we not like about them? We're going to lose another one overseas, because um, I thought Lachlan Boshier should have been, you know, close to All Black selection. They said he wasn't good enough, and then of course the players they do pick end up losing a lot of tests. But the big question, I uh, I still I, I still just struggle with the fact that Sean Stevenson can't make either team, yet Roger Tuivasa-Shek can still make the All Blacks. I just shake my head, mate. And, and no wonder oh, we're losing no what no wonder we're losing players overseas. You know, uh, it's it's you know George oh, yeah, Br- like George Nankerville. George George Bridge is going to go. I mean, Nankerville at least made this New Zealand 15 side. A lot. But Bryce Heem, 33 years of age, former sevens player, surely an opportunity to take somebody else. I would have thought. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I think George Bridge, you know, I think he's going to France. Um, that's sort of heard, sort of, you know, I think that's sort of official but unofficial. <laughs> um, paradox, yeah, that'd be the reason there. But, I mean, with uh, Alex Nankerville and, uh, you know, an RTS, I've got, you know, absolutely nothing against him. You know, I think he's a, you know, I saw him here when the Blues played the Crusaders, and, you know, you tell he's a natural uh, thing with people um, and, and that, but that's not the point. You no, know, no, it's not, not, that's not him no, personally. It's not, it's not a popularity but, or a commercial. No, 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 no. Decision. But what I'm saying is, is that. But often I've heard people say, if you attack RTS, it's the tall poppy. No, no, gets back no, to no, the funny no, bill no, thing. No, but no. you're actually judging him on what I mean. Even what he did for the Blues, getting to the final and playing the Crusaders. You know, he wasn't brilliant. He played. He played. He showed promise and did did well at times, but he wasn't. Setting the world alight in, in that in that environment, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that yeah, that you know, I do think with the loose forwards, you really it's the Sam Kane thing. I oh, mean, yeah, they no. got, they're going to change yeah, everyone's oh, positions, look, mate, you, and other you, players yeah, are going to miss out. But you watch, you, you, look, Graham. I'm going to I'm going to have to move on. But I mean, look, you, you look at this. So if we drop, say, two out of the three tests, if we lose lose to Wales, we lose to England. 
Um, and I, I'm still not I'm not convinced at all this All Black team's on the right track based on a performance against a second-rate Australian team who didn't push back in the forwards in that test. Backline didn't come up quickly. But then we do literally have no time to bring anybody else through because we're stuck with Coles, we're stuck with Cody Taylor, we're stuck with Ofa, Ofa Tuangavasi, um, who's been somewhat improved this year. Nepo Laulala, um, another one. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh, I would just like to have seen a little bit more enterprise in the selection of the All Blacks. And I'd like to have just seen, what the hell, seriously, is Angus Ta'aval being named in the New All Black 15 squad for? He's terrible. He's awful. Probably a really nice guy. It's not All Black quality, mate. Awful. So why not give someone else an opportunity? 0800 158 First time tonight, Spear Lines. Love to get your thoughts. Um, two, on the Women's Rugby World Cup, what did you make of it all? Did you get along? What do you make of the standard of the rugby? And I'd love to hear from people that went to the games in Northland. Didn't look like large crowds up there at all. Ten bucks to get in. I mean, how big is this really, rather than what they'll have us believe? How Truly, how big is it? How important is it to you? 24 minutes after nine. It is 28 and a half minutes after nine. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. Telephone number is 0800 150 Interesting music choice, Ben. Tenacious D, Jack Black. Yeah, absolutely. What's the name of the song? Uh, I've got down here Tribute. Yeah. I can't I've remember seen the, the video name. for it, eh? When yeah. you look the devil in the eyes or something. Yeah. The greatest. Was it the greatest song ever written or yeah, something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always remember that. Yeah. Qu- quite a good voice, actually. Quite a good voice. Um, It's a shame that he sort of had to do a parody on everything because I think he probably could have stood on his own, but he is who he is. Uh, Look, um, beautiful day in Wellington over the weekend, and I think what they had about 9,000, it was probably inflated, uh, but look, seven to 9,000 for the Wellington Phoenix, which good turnout. I mean, people have waited a long time for football, and you've got to understand soccer in this country, or football in this country, has a huge grassroots following. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether they can maintain that crowd as the season goes on. And the best way, best form of marketing is, is winning, is winning. And so, but then on the rugby side of it, they had a quarterfinal knockout game against, is it Hawke's Bay? Hawke's Bay, yeah. 3,000 people turn up. And I think that was roughly around the same when they had their one shield defence. I can't remember who that and was against, Waikato. New Zealand rugby have done everything to shut down any sort of controversy, any sort of conversation around the game, have made every coach and player sound the same, and they wonder why only 3,000 people are turning up. The tribalism's gone. I blame New Zealand rugby for that. I blame Sky Television for that, um, for basically just being a PR firm. It's terribly sad that the MPC is no longer appointment viewing. Uh, It's made for TV, the standard's probably what club rugby once was. And then we wonder why, and we wonder why suddenly we lack player depth when it comes to the All Blacks and suddenly wonder why perhaps we weren't as strong as we have been. Well, if you keep eroding the levels below the main game, that's what happens. But why in Wellington, why don't people go and watch sport? Why, why aren't people watching it anymore? 
been there, done that? Too many other things these days? Have we evolved as a country, perhaps, no longer rugby racing and beer? That we do enjoy outdoors. We enjoy going mountain biking. We'd rather save our money and go and watch other events that might come along that have a little bit more novelty attached to them. Some of these extreme sports, perhaps. But you also have a look at Super Rugby. The crowds have dropped off there too. You know, people are jumping up and celebrating 8,000 tuning up to a Super Rugby game now. Not great crowds for the Women's Rugby World Cup. Yet it's funny, isn't it? Our media still just push, 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 push rugby. You wonder where the game's going to be in 20 years. I don't know of any other business, the media's in business, Sky are in business, that don't read the trends. I wonder if they're going to end up becoming the Kodak. Remember Kodak did all the cameras back in the day? They never believed that digital would take over. They actually had the original patent for it. Never went with it. And then he had the other cell phones that came out for a little bit. What were they called? Um, Blackberries. Blackberries. Gone. Who would have thought years ago that taxis would become obsolete? And they're pretty much becoming obsolete because of a thing called Uber. Who would have thought that movie theatres would one day become obsolete? Video stores. Video stores. CD players. Question is, who would have thought that Sky Television one day would become obsolete? You laugh at me, but I'm serious, Ben. They've invested all their money in a game that they don't leverage, that they don't create discussion around, that nobody's talking about anymore because they've shut the conversation down. 0800 15811. Jump on the phone, have a chat. Let's talk let's talk about this. I want to hear from you. If you want to celebrate Shane Van Gisbergen too, I'd love to hear from you. Boy, what a class act he is. Wow, just conducts himself well, a really proud New Zealander, which is great. And really nice to hear the commentators on the final sort of lap and a half talking about his New Zealand background and celebrating him as a New Zealander. Unlike somehow trying to sort of imply, well, he was brought up in New Zealand, but he learned his trade here in Australia, which is not the case, came through that motorsport academy. Class, class act. And then you've got the likes of Scotty McLaughlin in the United States and Scott Dixon and mentioned the likes of Earl Bamba. And who's the other driver that raced a little bit of Formula One a couple of years ago? Just having Brendan a, Hartley. Yeah, Brendan Hartley. Uh, the list is endless. Good to see Richie Stanaway back uh, driving with Greg Murphy too. I think they finished 11th. Have we ever been in a better place in regards to motorsport? The problem is with motorsport, everyone looks at Formula One and thinks it's the pinnacle. And it sort of is the pinnacle. The floor in it, it's not the best driver. You can buy a drive, which is what I don't like about it. <coughs> Lance Stroll. I just said Lance Stroll because his dad owns the team he races yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. you can't tell me he's a better driver than Scotty McLaughlin. McLaughlin's a freak, mate. And we'll see that. We started to see it this year in the IndyCars just in his second season, having to go from, you know, an open wheel or from a supercar to suddenly a single-seat race car and that ability to be able to bridge that gap and make the adjustment. Uh, if you want to talk about that, 0800 150 um, The All Blacks squad. Dane Coles, Cody Taylor. Hey, they're it, man. They're our hookers we're taking to the World Cup. 
Dum, dum, dum. Anything happens to Samasoni Takia? How much faith do you have in Coles and Taylor? Should they have not taken Asafa Wamua? George Bell or Brodie McAllister? And I, I, I just want to ask this question again. How does Roger Tuivasa-Sheck make the All Blacks and yet Sean Stevenson can't make either team? Now, there has been the odd rumour that Sean Stevenson potentially could sign for Rugby League and maybe there is some truth to that rumour. Though we've been told that's not the case. Other people have suggested that perhaps that is the case and therefore New Zealand Rugby not going to invest any more time in him. Damien McKenzie, Bryn Gatland. It's not... Bryn Gatland, the next best first five in the country behind... Barrett Mawanga and Perifeta. Yeah, not convinced. Thoughts, Ben? Well, the only other one that you would really could probably consider straight off the top of your head would be uh, Joshuani. Yeah, I think some of that off-field antics down in Otago, down at university, down there, probably come back to bite him. I wonder whether there so is... So then I guess it kind of that does yeah, leave Bryn I'm, Gatland as the next man off the rank. Yeah, I'm just trying to work through the different sides, the first five sides. See, the problem is, mate, I just don't watch the NPC like I once did, so it's very hard for me to... Well, you have we have Brett Cameron who played, I think, in that Japan test, uh, running around for Manawatu. Oh, the one test, the token test, where we decided to put an all-black B team out on the field and give them all-black jerseys yep, because one. somehow we're going to win the Rugby World Cup by resting and rotating that one yeah. when we devalued the all black jersey because Steve Hansen knew everything that he was doing and no one dare question him that one yeah well I, and now I, Brett Cameron's a bit of a laughing stoke isn't he you know you, not that I ever think there's a bad all black but you start bringing up who are the worst all blacks in history and he'd be part of the conversation well who knows the all blacks could then just do something where they I think was it the 2019 World Cup against Namibia where they played TJ Perinara at first five or they're just going to put say for Lal Fakadaba you can have a run at first five if you like Mm. Mm. Oh, look, I, I would put Sean Stevenson ahead of AJ Lamb, Ruben Love and Mark Tilly. I'd put ahead of all of them, whether it be on the wing, whether it be at fullback. Probably not wrong. That's how much I rate him. Stoked for Alex Nangerville. Um, I, I do like the midfielders, to be fair, in that New Zealand 15 squad, Levi Amua. Uh, Bryce Heem, um, yeah, I mean, he's performed brilliantly for Auckland and the opportunity has been given. He brings some experience. Alex Nangerville and Balin Sullivan. Quality quality midfielders. But how come all of those four sit in that New Zealand 15, yet Roger Tuivasa-Sheik somehow still finds his way into that all-black team? Can someone tell me what Roger Tuivasa-Sheik's actually done other than have a million Instagram followers, um, probably have been on the cover of Women's Day and was a great rugby league player? I think the one person you could probably say probably unlucky to miss out and I don't know if he's injured or not in that in that midfield would be Thomas Umaga Jensen. Agree. For Otago. I think yep. he I, I know he did have a bit of injury uh and he maybe got suspended during Super Rugby, but I know quite a few of the yeah. all blacks we had on the shows were saying he's one for the future. Yeah, well that's it, isn't it? And even Peter Gus and the loose forwards, I don't think he got picked as well. No, did he? he didn't. Now I there might be some off field issues there too. Peter Gus Suakola, he um, played just that, what, two tests for the All Blacks, never to be seen or heard of again. Scored a try under the post at Eden Park in that first test. Did Alex Hodgman get picked? No, he didn't. And he should be picked. wonder why. Politics. 
I also heard over the weekend too, I heard this from a good source, that Ian Foster, right, and I'm not a fan of Ian Foster, I don't think he should be all-black coach. I'm not convinced that we're still going to get it right on the end of the year too with the players that we've picked. But I understand there's been no communication from Mark Robertson, the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, with Ian Foster congratulating him on winning the rugby championship. No communication. You hope that's not the case. 20 and a half minutes away from 10, you're listening to SENZ. 16 minutes away from 10, telephone number is 0800 150 uh, Text that's come in from Hayden. What I, I agree on Sean Stevenson, can't quite understand him when he is 33 years of age. The Women's World Cup has had so much media coverage, why did they lie about the crowd? Look at the crowd when they were the curtain raiser before the All Blacks would have been lucky to be 2,000 at the start of the game and it was effectively free. Yeah, hard to disagree with it. Like I say, brilliant that people turned up to Eden Park. But stop manufacturing the numbers and stop telling me I need to watch it and stop trying to tell me that it's as big as the Men's Rugby World Cup and it's as important as the Men's World Cup and that the standards is high. Stop telling me that. Stop it. Okay, let me make those decisions. Don't tell me what I need to watch and don't accuse me of being a sexist or a chauvinist if I choose not to. I watch a lot of women's sport. I watch a lot of men's sport. There's a lot of men's sport I don't watch either. 16 minutes away from 10. Hi, Brian. Oh, hey, Mark. Hey, look, um, that's right. There's that much sport that you can't watch all of it anyway, especially if you're working a bit during the day like I do. Yeah, and when you do but, get a um, chance, you're going to watch the best product, aren't you? Yeah, watch the best product. Mm. And I'll tell you now, I mean, rugby, I'm, I've been in rugby. I played rugby a little bit as a young fella, but I'm a bit, I'm about the same size as McKenzie, so I was never really a successful bloody player, but I love the game. But I, I reckon um, half the problem, there's two things that I think is the main, main, main issue. One is that the top players don't play in the national competition. Well said. That's, to me, that, that to me is just an absolute insanity. And, 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 and the rugby... The rugby um, hierarchy can say whatever they want. If I go to watch a game anywhere in New Zealand, and I travel around a bit watching them, first division, second division, third division even, and, and when I want to see the best players on that field. And when you've got guys sort of sitting back on the sideline or not even there, um, that, that's crazy. And the second thing is we're, we're, our stadiums are a bloody shambles. Anyone that thinks that Eden Park's a decent place, I live on Waiheke Island, and I'll tell you what, for me to go and watch a game at Eden Park, which is a 30-minute ferry trip away and then a train trip away, is a nightmare because you, you don't get home until you know midnight or 1 o'clock. And yeah, the, the, the stadiums in New Zealand are a shambles. The best stadium in New Zealand, for my opinion, is the one in Dunedin. Yeah. Why don't we have... Uh, I know that... It's going to change. There's might be one coming up in Christchurch, but those two things to me. And I'll tell you what. There's a third thing I've just thought of too, Mark. That the, the rugby's got to get more sexy, like like rugby league gets sexy. You know, it's got the sort of the razzle dazzle. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, see, but, but see, Brian, they've dumbed it all down. They've sanitised it all. No one's allowed to have a personality. Well, we we... The, Brian, the coaches don't know. The coaches, there's no rivalry between the coaches. Just want to go back to your first point, though. I was just saying to Ben during the commercial break, you know, I saw, we talked about the large crowds that still went and watched the Warriors three home games, even though um, they were crap. And part of that is because clearly they hadn't played at home for so long. But I think part of the appeal of the NRL, even if the Warriors are crap, there are big name brand athletes in the other teams. So, you know, if you're a young kid in Canberra 10 years ago, you would love to go and watch the Tigers play because you get to see Benji Marshall because he plays the game the way you want to play it. And I said, I've never come across a sport where your best players just simply don't play. But it's not just happening now at an MPC level. It's also starting to happen now at a Super Rugby level. Oh, we've got to rest these guys. The season last year in the All Blacks was too long. And they wonder why nobody's going along and watching it. As you said, Brian, you want to watch the best damn teams play. Yeah, look, it's so simple. I mean, if if I was going to go to... Bothered go to Eden Park and watch a game. I want all the top players there. I agree. And said that generally, they generally at the end of the season we've got over here. They're all picked to play in the All Blacks and all rested and re- recreation, whatever they might do, you know, rotation, whatever they might do for, for the All Blacks. And so they're not playing in the, in the game. But yeah, look, you've got to have that mark. I mean, if you don't, uh. if you don't have. The top players playing in the National League, there's something wrong with the well, game. You, but, but you look at the NRL, man. Those guys will play 25 games in the regular I mean. season. Then they've got the playoff. Then they've got State of Origin, the top players in yep. between. They're expected to front up. They've got billion-dollar television deals, not $100 million deals. As I said, yeah. you know, I'll arrest them during Super Rugby. You know that most players are going to pick up an injury at some point and have some weeks off anyway. Um, you know, the MPC, yeah, I mean... You take a guy like Stephen Perifetta. How much rugby has that guy actually played this year? How much I rugby realistically has I, Bowden Barrett played this year? Roger Tuivasa-Sheck, Braden Enor, David Harvey. It's a joke. Does my head in? He does my head in with that because that's the sole thing about you know anyone can jump out of a rugby league tournament and play second five for for an international team and rugby mm. is just you've got to be half witted. Mm. But look, you know, I agree totally. The thing is that rugby isn't sexy enough. We've got to get rid of these silly old buggers that took, make all the decisions and mm. and we've got to get guys like Rob uh, Razor in there and, and get, get stuck oh, in and look, change it. Yeah, yeah. Get people going. Get, get yeah. people stirred up. Pumping the yeah. air, you know, walking down to the stand, out of the stand and you know, God's sake, that's what league's done for 25 years. Yeah, now look, Brian, also too, they've just got to make, you know, bring back the discussion, have shows on television where you're actually allowed to debate and discuss and have an opinion and go after the CEOs and go after the organisation, go after the coaches, at the same time celebrate all the good things in it. But we don't do that here. New Zealand Rugby have shut it down. Sky are complicit. Sky have invested almost $500 million in rugby over the next four years. What do they do to secure that investment? Nothing. The crowd numbers are dissipating. The viewing numbers are dropping. Player numbers are dropping. Everything will be okay. Meanwhile, you can buy 10 shares, 10 Sky shares for $2.20, 22 cents each. But everything's okay. I just cannot believe how stupid and dumb some people are. Nine and a half minutes away from 10. Okay, so we are coming up to five minutes away from 10 after 10 o'clock. We're just going to wing it. We've got some audio from English Premier League football. God, what is happening to my Liverpool team? Another loss. Just two wins in their last seven games. Um, 
like this text. Watto, I agree on Sean Stevenson. Uh, sorry, no, I agree 100% about Stevenson, especially after he kicked that 58-metre penalty on Friday night. And unlike Geordie, he didn't have brothers to run around with in the back paddock. Well, that's it, isn't there? There's, I mean, I joke a lot about the Barrett brothers. Oh, you know, they grew up and played in the backyard together. It's almost like, well, made the cover of Women's Day and they've got social following. Let's put them in the All Blacks. Um, and I wonder if that's Sean Stephen. Is he not trendy enough? Does he not have enough Instagram followers? Is that why he's missed out? He'll go overseas. You know, he'll join like the likes of James Lowe. Look what he did. For Ireland. Bundy Arkey. Oh, we don't think you're good enough. Walking to other international sides and it comes back to bite us. I just hope that they've picked this team. Just win. Just win. You've left some really good players at home. Just make sure you win with the players you have picked. But judge us on the World Cup. Judge us on the World Cup. No, I'm not going to judge you on the damn World Cup. Okay, it is 10 o'clock. We're with you for another 59 minutes or so. Mark Watson alongside of me, Ben Francis. We're going to have a little bit of a wing it out. I still just want to give people an opportunity to have your say. If you do want to phone the programme, you can give us your thoughts on the naming of the New Zealand 15. They call the All Blacks 15. I don't know why they use the word All Blacks. It's not an All Black team. Stop franchising it. And I'll give you the reasons why. Just call it a New Zealand 15, but do not use the word All Blacks. It's like do not use the word All Black 7s. See, when you think of the word All Black historically overseas, uh, within the rugby nations, you think of invincibility, you think of precision performance, no compromise. Team with an incredible winning record. When you start taking the word All Black and you put it on other squads, the media can get quite lazy. So we have this All Black 15 that plays the Barbarians. Barbarians beat All Blacks. They play, to say an example, they play Munster as an example. That's not happening, but let's just say they play Munster. Munster beat the All Black 15. Munster beat the All Blacks. That gets reported around the world. People in Canada, people in the United States, people in Japan, they don't differentiate. They go, oh, the All Blacks are beaten. Well, they're not as invincible as I thought. Suddenly, the All Black brand starts to take a bit of a nosedive. Same with the Sevens. How often do you hear the Sevens team being referred to as the All Blacks? I still hear it when I go to the Olympics. Oh, the All Blacks are here. No, no, it's the New Zealand Sevens team. And so they end up in 2016, they end up getting beaten by Japan. They regularly get beaten by Fiji. That gets reported around the world. All Blacks beaten by Fiji. All Blacks beaten by the United States. You ask people in America when the New Zealand Seven teams gets beaten by the Oh, we beat the All Blacks. No, you didn't. You beat the Sevens team. And that's the problem. And so if you're going to attach the word All Blacks to any other team other than the All Blacks, you need to make sure then they live up to the same high standards, that they win and you provide them the resource. Otherwise, you're just franchising it. And it's a really good way of bastardising a brand if one of your franchisees lets you down. But it's all about the money now. They don't actually realise there are just certain things you can what build a brand over 130 years and you can undo it in the space of a year, two years, five years. Ruin reputation of a business very, very quickly, can't you? Um, but yeah, look, um, so Dane Coles, Cody Taylor, they're going to go through the World Cup according to this team that we're taking overseas. Samus Sony Takiaho, he gets injured. 
Are you comfortable with Coles and Taylor? Loose forward Sam Kane, Shannon Rizal, Kira Wani, Dalton Papalihi. No room for Callum Boshier in any of these New Zealand 15 squads. Saw his brother Lachlan disappear overseas after looking like he was almost an all-black certainty. What's the one area that we've been weak in? It's been the loose forwards, isn't it, outside of Artie Sevilla? Why are we taking Anton Lennart-Brown? Why are we taking Anton Lennart-Brown? He hasn't played any rugby, so what's he going to offer the All Blacks? Why not take either Levi Amour, Alex Nankerville or Balin Sullivan? Possibly Bryce Heem. How does Roger Tuivasa-Shek make the All Blacks and yet Sean Stevenson can't make either team? Along with Callum Boshier, arguably the form player of the MPC. Why should players hang around in New Zealand if they give it their all, they perform week in, week out and still don't get picked? And then the irony is we talk about the lack of depth and talent that we've got and the retention of keeping our players here. I think a lot of players are happy to play here for less money than what they can get overseas on the belief that they can one day wear the black jersey or continue to progress to a much higher level. Uh, someone texting in saying, Mark, when you pay $100 for Sky a month, why would you go to a game? Can't afford both. i tell you the um, one way you can do it. You get one of those VPNs. What, what do they call VPN, you know? So you can basically um, get rid of the... What's the... What's, what's the what, what does a VPN remove? It, ben, it removes the... Is it your location? Yeah, it removes it, that location. So you, you, you can basically view video anywhere in the world without having those geo blocks I think that's called a geo block and it means also that if you get the VPN and generally you can then dial into the United States it means that when you open up Netflix you'll actually get the American Netflix if you dial into Japan you'll get the Japanese Netflix what it also allows you to do is that you can then go and buy the Australian provider of rugby. What's the Australian provider's name, Ben? I'm just having a mental block. For sport? Yeah. Fox Sports. No, no, Fox Sports. What's their breakaway rugby provider? Oh, Stan Sport. Stan Sport. So, so this is what you can actually do. You buy a VPN, which for 100 bucks a year or whatever, right? Then you can go and buy Stan Sport. It won't give you the rugby league, but it'll give you all the rugby, give you all the movies for like 11 Australian dollars a month. 11 Australian dollars a month. So if you're just into your rugby and you want your super rugby games, you want your all black games, buy a VPN, buy Stan Sports, sit back, far better deal, far more cost effective. Hi, Wado. I think the reason Sean Stevenson didn't get selected is because he flew to Oz a couple of weeks ago and met with Wayne Bennett to negotiate a contract with the Dolphins. Yeah, we've heard that, Dave, um, and we have sort of brought that up. But we've also heard how the people shut that down. But that must be the only reason this guy hasn't got picked. What is it? You, you know, you've, boy, we've had, you know, we let James Lowe go. Um, who was the other one? Sean. Who played on the wing there for Scotland? Sean. Um, Sean Maitland. Sean Maitland played. God, you're good tonight, Ben. I'm struggling. My memory's shot tonight. Sean Maitland. Another one that we let go. Um, hasn't come back to bite us, but, you know, showed how good he was when he did play for Scotland. You've got players around the country like Jonah Lowe. 
and we wonder why we lose them. And then we've got to spend another four or five years building that experience and that depth back up. And then our super rugby teams are not getting that hard physical confrontation because the sides, they've got too much youthful exuberance in them. Oh, we need to play South Africa more. We play our own sides too much and our own sides just aren't good enough anymore because we're just not keeping players who are prepared to go and play 100 games for Super Rugby because they don't see a pathway beyond it because of the politics. How the hell does Roger Tuivasa-Shek make the All Blacks? Seriously. You said it before, Ben, what, Instagram followers? Oh, I, 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 did, a, I did what a, a young journalist would do. Check out how many... Yeah. How many does he have? Sean Stevenson has 16,000. Yep. Jordy Barrett has about 170,000. Yep. And Bowden Barrett has over 600,000. Wow. What a great way of leveraging the All Black sponsors you're in. What about Roger Tuivasa-Shek? I didn't check Roger Tuivasa-Shek, but I'm pretty sure it'd have over 100,000. I would have thought so. I mean, we've been a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit cynical here, but you're allowed to be cynical. Oh, no, 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 my facts are accurate, though. Yeah. But 106,000. I'm, I'm saying we've been a bit cynical in regards to reason why players are being picked and not being picked. We're sort of suggesting that perhaps it comes down to how many social media follows you've got because, let's be honest, the All Blacks only ever seem interested in money now rather than anything else. Well, they, Everything's got to have a tangible value. They don't worry about the intangibles. Well, if they gave us a good reason why players didn't get picked, then we probably wouldn't have to come up with these hypotheticals. Mm. Oh, I just can't believe Alex Hodgman either, mate. Um, I just, yeah, just un- I, I don't know what Alex has done. Uh, I heard that he didn't get on with the All Black coaches when he was in there, not because they just misunderstood him. He was asking questions from the right place. He just wanted to get better, and they misinterpreted that. That's what I have heard from a very, very good source within Blues Rugby. Anyway, 10 minutes after 10, if you want to have your say, 0800 150 Seems quiet at the moment. Is everyone on school holidays? They are, aren't they? Or away in general. Yeah. Hey, um, just going off the tr- track here. Uh, you know, we've got... I'm pleased we're getting a change of mayor. I'm just pleased that we've got... I don't want to get into the whole politics of it all, but I just want to have somebody who gets rid of all the social engineering and puts emphasis actually on infrastructure. But but I'm in a bit of a tight timeline on Friday morning. I've got to go and commentate some rugby uh, for the Defence Forces. And I'm on the motorway, and suddenly there's a traffic jam. I'm like, oh, this is the last thing I need. You know what the traffic jam was? It was a whole lot of orange cones moving everybody from four lanes into three into two. You know when I got there, there wasn't one worker to be seen anywhere. There was no one doing a damn thing. But here it was, clogging up Auckland's motorway in the morning at eight o'clock when people are going to work. I mean, if you design a new flag now for New Zealand, what's symbolic of New Zealand? You'd have a damn orange cone somewhere in it, wouldn't you? With a pothole. With a bloody pothole. It's unbelievable, mate. Hey, Josh is texting. Mark, when did Dane Coles play over 40 minutes of Super Rugby or All Blacks in the last two years? He's passed his best, mate. Both Coles and Taylor. I've got to say, this era, this current group of All Blacks, just don't convince me at all. Just something about that forward pack that just, those loose forwards, they just... Kirawani, Hoskins Satudu, Shannon Brazell. 
Dalton Papalihi I'll give a little bit of grace to, but they're not exactly sort of McCaw, Michael Jones, Alan Wetton type players, are they? They're a bit, they just don't have that physicality. They're just a bit, I don't know, yeah, just a bit soft or just a bit one-dimensional. Shannon Frizzell, you can't argue his physicality, but yeah, it's just other things perhaps he lacks. I mean, you look at our midfield, Enor Havili, Roger Tuivasa, Sheik. Got the best winger in the world playing at centre in Rico Awani. Looks good against sides who don't get up in his face. Looks average when the, these defences press. Mm, it might just be me. Uh, we'll come back. We'll have some football interviews, Ben. We'll do that. Keep the text coming. Double eight, double three. But jump on the phone. 0800 150 17 minutes after 10. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone number 0800 150 You can text us here on double eight, double three. Um, right. Uh, ben, let's have a chat to you. Um, English Premier League football. We had Arsenal beating Liverpool. Um, three goals to two. We had uh, West Ham. Um, Having um, a victory. Who did West Ham play? They played Fulham. Um, yeah, not what I was hoping for. I didn't get a chance to get up in the middle of the night and watch Liverpool just due to some work commitments. Um, but was pretty shattered when I saw the result. But in a funny kind of way, it didn't actually surprise me. So we got audio from Arteta, the Arsenal coach. Yeah, we've got audio from a few of the Premier League managers from games overnight, and I don't think I think if you kind of said at this stage of the season, I know we're only nine games in about in terms of where some of these teams would be, you probably wouldn't have picked Liverpool to be in the bottom half of the table. Oh, uh, it's not going to get easier, mate. They've got Manchester City next on the weekend. Oh, well, you got Bournemouth, who you guys trounced nine nil, are above you. Mm. Is it like how how does that make you feel? The only thing I'll say, I still believe Liverpool will click at some point. It'll come way too late. They're not going to win the look. Manchester City are going to win the Premier League. I don't even believe Arsenal are the real deal. I think they'll come apart at some point. A couple of injuries, they'll come apart. Well, it's cool. I guess the the thing is with this season is that there's going to be this break for the World Cup, and so many of these teams are going to have players involved, and it will actually be very interesting to see how they. Reset. They reset. There are going to be teams, of course, where they're probably going to have not many players involved. So they're probably going to be the ones training. Like I've heard guys say, uh, you know, pundits say that Trent Alexander-Arnold, if he doesn't go to the World Cup, I think they were talking about, well, Gary Neville was talking about his story, and I think he said that during, uh, I think he missed out on one tournament, and he just went up, I think, up to Newcastle and did like six straight weeks of kind of mastering the craft of being a right back in terms of how the defensive side and they were kind of saying that's what Trent Alexander-Arnold should do. You know what I actually think Trent Alexander-Arnold should do? I think he should go on bloody holiday to Fiji and just have three weeks in the sun and then come back and have three weeks of conditioning and then get ready for the season because I actually think that's what he needs. I actually think he just needs to put his feet up. I just don't think he had a break. I think Liverpool, you know, be careful what you wish for. You want to win all four tournaments and make all four finals do it but extends your season to a point where, you know, then you bring in the international fixture straight off the back of it, and then suddenly you're touring Asia in July um, because it's a bit of a cash grab, and where's the break? There is none. 
as a Liverpool fan, how much do you think the loss of Sadio Mane is hurting? Because I, I know Liverpool's problems aren't exactly on the attacking side of the ball, but when it was kind of touted up, there was more like, oh, we're going to keep Salah. He's probably yeah, a bit I, more important. I, I would have kept Mane over Salah. I just didn't like the fact that Salah was holding a gun to Liverpool's head and Liverpool had made him. Um, and he hasn't lived up to it, has he? I mean, he's the highest played player at the club and he's been woeful. Um, so I would have kept Mane. I think the biggest problem too is Andy Robertson being out. Um, you know, Scottish captain there at left back. Clearly Alexander-Arnold's playing dreadfully. Um, well, the formation, the formation Liverpool played with, they had the four defenders and your two midfielders and everyone else was attacking players. Yeah, but you also get to a point, excuse me, but you've also got to a point though, mate, where Klopp actually has to make the tough call. You know, he's, no, there's nothing wrong with Alexander-Arnold. Well, well, no, there is though, there is. I mean, historically there hasn't been. And that's not to say he's not going to come right. But you can't keep throwing him out there. Every time in the first two minutes, they just go down his side, get him behind him and score. We concede another goal in the first minute today. Can't just keep doing that. And that that strong defence, which has kind of really held yeah. Liverpool together yeah, no, over the last few years as well, is just crumbling. And it is rock solid. But you've got guys who are just tired, mate, who just need to have some time away from the game to re-energise and have a chance to reflect without overthinking about it. And then just come back and be themselves. The problem is when you get into that headspace, it just ends up being, it's almost even more of a downward spiral, you know? It just, you know, it's like being, you lose your confidence and you start overthinking it, work yourself up, and before you know it, yeah, you've made the situation even worse. Oh, it's it's incredible. And that's kind of what I was saying before. You know, you've got lots of guys that can cross the ball, they can put the ball in the back of the net, but it's those ones that have that mental edge are the mm. ones that kind of make mm. it to that next mm. level. Oh, look, I'm just hoping this weekend we somehow get it right and we beat City, but I could also see us losing 4-0 to City. With Erling Haaland scoring a hat-trick? I hope not. <laughs> Did you want to hear from Arteta or Klopp? Oh, let's go with Arteta. All right. Just thank you so much to the boys and and our supporters for experiencing afternoon like this. It's what about is um, our profession and why we are here, and uh, I really enjoyed it, um, especially the way we won. I know we ask you about this almost every week now, but the atmosphere in here—it's like I mean, it's like something I've never seen. I don't know about you. It's no. I've never seen like this, and uh, you cannot imagine how much it helps the players and how much belief it gives, and how much confidence and support. And actually, it's it's one of the nicest things that we've done since since we are together here. Is to to unite everybody and and feel like I don't know. You go here and you're gonna have uh, some experience, and it's it's great. Doing what we do every single day, understanding that um, hopefully that they believe more and they have more confidence that we can play and compete at this level and then win, which is the most important thing, and um, and stay humble and tomorrow be ready for the training session and a lot of things that we have to get better. But over this with this enthusiasm and, and empathy between them to to try to to be a better team. Okay. Just whilst about Gabriel Martinelli, um, is that the kind of performance from him that shows he's probably one of the best players in the Premier League against such a big opponent? He's a great player. I think today he had an outstanding performance against against top defender, against a top team, and uh, he made a difference in the game as well as the other players. And uh, that's the next level to step up in these games and actually make things happen to win it. And it's tying down to a new contract now, jump to the top of your to do list. 
Sorry? It's tying down to a new contract now, down to the top of the We don't get dragged out about a performance. Gabby doesn't have to show me whether he plays well or not well today. Uh, what he deserves is clear. Um, his hunger, his determination, his love for this game, and and we, you don't know where he's going to reach because he's always asking and, and willing for more. Miguel, Tommy played very well in the very good, and that's what we hope that he, he would do, and he exactly did that. But uh, to think of doing that against Salah and actually do it is a very different story, and he's done it incredibly well, especially after playing on Thursday and uh, what he's been through in the last few weeks. Okay, what, what do you think is possible for this team this season? Now? At the moment, uh, enjoy where we are, <laughs> and again, have even more determination to believe that we can play at that level only when we go at that rhythm and we play with the courage that we played the second half and, uh, and go step by step. You've beaten Spurs, you've beaten Liverpool. Do you have the belief that this team could beat anyone they I think on the day we play at our best, we have a chance. But after winning a football match is uh, dictated by a lot of things that you have to control and actually they have to do in the pitch and, and that's a different story. So, um, the, I mean, the win was huge, obviously, Miguel, but the manner of the win, yeah. twice being picked back and restored your lead. The fact it was against Liverpool, who Arsenal struggled against so much in recent years. I mean, just some all of that up and what it could mean in terms of belief for the team, young team going That's when the feeling of winning is so powerful and, and so meaningful today for me because I saw a team that I feel really identified with, um, the personality that show in difficult moments, how they stick to what they have to do, but at the same time they believe the courage uh, and the free mind to just go for it and attack them and, and put them under pressure. Yeah, yeah, it hurts me to say it, but well done to Arsenal. Thoroughly deserved that victory this morning. Well, let's hear from Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp. I think around all three goals we made decisive mistakes, like the first goal, of course, definitely too early in our situation um, is obviously not what you need to, to get a foot in the game. I understand a little bit because it's a situation where we, we pass the ball forward, lose it and have a chance to win it back. Diogo nearly blocks the ball. If he can block the ball, then I think we go the other way. But he can't block the ball. Ball first plays through our lines and there we have to interrupt the game. However, I don't know exactly, I have to look it back, but um, because the moment when Odegaard can, is free on the ball, I think it was Odegaard and pass the ball to Martinez. So this pass is not to defend anymore. It's just not possible. Yeah, one nil down, really a bad start, um, but start controlling the game, play a really good game against a very aggressive, full of confidence Arsenal side. But um, we really showed that we are here for a reason. Scored the equaliser, wonderful goal, great play, um, an open game. Could go either way, I think, with advantages for us. Um, more possession, more finishes, these kind of things. Um, yeah, and then we make a, 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 a bad decision before half-time, we get a free kick, and it's a situation where you ignore a free kick, I'm completely guilty for that. Can, as an excuse for my side, I can say I was surprised that we, <laughs> that we went up front and I, like, hey, what are we doing? But then, yeah, if the boys are convinced, then let's score a goal. But we didn't. We conceded one on the other end. And that's now, um, of course, not... Yeah, like, after the worst possible start, now we had the worst possible end. The first half, going in half-time, there we have additional problems. Um, Lujo, we had to change already before, obviously. Um, 
something with the knee, not good. We will no, not good. We will, we will, he will have a scan and then we know more. I have no idea about the extent. But on top of that, Trent on the bat as well, and with the ankle, twisted ankle, not good. Trent never in seven years never went off if he could have played on. So pain, not too much pain, slight swelling immediately. So we left scan. I told the boys, so we have to try to um, obviously cut off the two goals and, um, and, and, and build on the, on the good stuff. But that means you have to play football again, and that's what we didn't do. Yes, Arsenal came out again, very aggressive, man v man against Hendo and, and Thiago. Um, but we weren't flexible enough anymore in the front line. So didn't drop in the right moments, didn't offer half spaces apart from the goal, where we did that obviously particularly well. Then we scores the, the equaliser, and now it's a really open game. I think with again a slight advantage for us, but then the the, um, the penalty happens, and ugh, what can I say now about that situation? So he he thought immediately it's a penalty, which, which is interesting, but his decision. Mr. England had a look at it and thought as well as a penalty, so um, how we know in life, if two refs think the same, then it's the truth we have to live with. Um, but if I see the situation back, when there, if, if there was contact, and I'm not sure there was contact, but there might have been soft contact, of course, but the player goes again on both feet and then down, that's an indication that something might have been made up a bit. So, but not for the refs. But they thought it's a clear, not a handball in the first half when Diogo put the ball on Gabriel's arm. We cannot change that. You know, our situation is now obviously a really difficult one. Um, but in this, in if then it's already difficult enough with injuries now on top of that. But if in a, if in a game like this, these decisions go go against you, yeah, it's kind of typical. But it doesn't help. And so now we lost the game. Um, with a lot of good moments, again, not to forget the team in form played against the team not in form, pretty much. Um, and we, we played some good stuff and could have had got a result here. I think a draw would have been a, a, a deserved result. Um, but now we have to deal with that, that's fine. It is 24 minutes away from 11 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ, Mark Watson with you. Uh, ben Francis alongside of me. Uh, ben, we've been putting the spotlight and focus a little bit on the English Premier League from overnight. We had West Ham beating Fulham. Uh, two goals to one. Fulham have actually what exceeded expectations, I think, this so far this season. I think many people expected them to be at the bottom of the heat, but I think they've They've done well so far, but West Ham a bit too clinical. I think that one was I can't, I can't remember that one was actually. You always remember the thing with Fulham is you know that okay, we'll survive a season, we'll survive two seasons, might survive five, but you know they're going down at some point, don't you? Oh yeah. And I see. See, I'm saddened to see Nottingham Forest up there for the first time since what the nine or two. Well, might have been since the two thousands, but and they're struggling in that bottom three, if not bottom of the table, and you just go. I'd prefer them to stay up than Fulham. Yeah, well, they are bottom. Fulham are ninth at the moment above your Liverpool. But it was quite funny, was it, last week, how there's been lots of talk around the future of Steve Cooper, the Nottingham Forest manager, and then they re-sign him. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, part of it is they went and signed 15 players, didn't they, in the off-season, and you've got to gel those players together. More, I think. It's like you've got a team that actually performed for you. I mean, that's a revolution. Sometimes you just need a subtle evolution, and there's a big difference. They obviously felt that that was the best way to go. Maybe they really felt that their squad of guys was just not going to be up to that standard, but uh, they've got quality players there. It's Mm. just, as you say, when, when the season's so, so short, you don't have long to gel. So and it probably is going to take a bit of time. And Nottingham Foresters could be one of these teams that really benefits from this break yeah, for the well, World Cup. We saw Newcastle a few years ago, you know, on the brink of um, on the brink of relegation, and then they brought in Eddie Howe and he turned things around and now they look pretty comfortable. Newcastle, in fact, starting to establish themselves as one of the better sides. So yeah, long way to go. So you've got audio there from David Moyes? No, I don't. No? What audio have you got? I've got Frank Lampard. All oh, right, Chelsea. Uh, Everton, sorry, losing to Manchester United, two goals to one. And Eric Ten Hag. Okay, well, let's no, well, let's go with Eric Ten Hag first. I mean, let's go with the winning coach, and then we'll, we'll back it up with... Um, We'll back it up then with Frank Lampard. I, I, yeah, um, Everton scoring early in this one. I was sort of hoping they might get the job done. Not because I absolutely detest United, more because I just don't want to see Everton getting themselves back in relegation position either. First of all, criticism is normal. <laughs> when you have a defeat, especially in a big game and in a derby. So we have to deal with that. And but then you learn the lessons. And that is what we did. I think we responded well already on Thursday. And today as well, I think first 35 minutes, we're, we're good, uh, in and out of possession. And it was also good that you deal with a setback, uh, first a goal against, then you are 1-0 down. But now I think we responded much better uh, by stick to the plan, keep composed and uh, do your work, do your job. And then you turn around it before half-time, so that was uh, really good. Fifth position, 15 points, that must feel nice. Oh, I don't. Of course, I, I can't. In this moment, I don't. Uh, I, we collect the points, but uh, it's not. I uh, looking in the table. We have to win every game. That's our aim, and uh, we have to improve every game. We have to improve the process, and that's important. And so we have to prepare every game, hundred uh, percent, and we demand from the players every game that they give their best, that they cooperate. You see the spirit in this team. Hey, that's really well, and it's really also a squad. It's not only 11 players. Um, today, again, a sub coming on and scoring a goal. Uh, you see Victor Lindelof. In the end, Rafa Varane and Scott McTominay coming in. So we do it with more than 11 players, and so I'm happy with the process. Ronaldo comes on and scores his 700th club career goal. How impressed were you with him today? That is really impressive when you score 700 goals huh? that is uh, it's a huge performance and I'm really happy for him uh, I congratulate him uh, with that better performance and so and I'm also happy uh, that he this is first goal this season huh? he had to wait for it uh, in the Premier League then and um, so and I'm sure there will coming more goals you spoke about Ronaldo's frustration on Wednesday. Even for a player like him who's achieved everything there is to win in the game, can scoring a goal spark confidence and, and give him almost more belief or, or some belief that more goals will come? 
Yeah, I think it, every player needs it. Yeah? Even when you are the best of the world, uh, you need it. Uh, you, you, yeah, you need the goals. And I worked with, with many t- goal scorers, especially them. They needed the goals uh, in every season uh, to, to have that feeling and to have that, uh, uh, say, the confirmation of the intuition. And uh, once they have some goals, uh, then they come in in a, um, yeah, in a flow, and then c- uh, games go easier, and and that will happen with him as well. So Eric Ten Hag, the the manager of Manchester United, let's hear from Frank Lampard, the manager of Everton. Well, I think that's that's quite simplistic, but I think in the first uh, half we won at our best, um, and how we've been particularly off the ball, I thought, but also in possession. And that led to two two turnovers in good possession for us, where you're just starting to maybe open up and you make mistakes and then they score two goals, which I always felt would be the biggest threat of the game with their their style and their type of player. So I think, you know, the frustrating point from our point from our point of view is that um that we uh, we allowed that and then um, then you're fighting to get back in the game and obviously good spirit at the end, crosses, corners at the back end of the game, good spirit but the way we've been going, slightly disappointed that we, that first half against a team of Manchester United levels made it difficult for us. And how disappointing was it bearing in mind we've all been going on about your defensive record this season? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not bothered about a record. As in, you know, I'm happy that we've been more solid defensively, but every game's different, and um, I'm, I'm more concerned about the, 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 the situation for the goals, as I say, where we turn the ball over uh, and give them the opportunities that we really didn't want to. So, you know, it's um, you can concede two goals and win a game of football, and you're not so concerned. But when it makes it difficult for you to get some composure in the game. It obviously affects the game in a big way, so um, just that's just what happened today. I suppose the bonus is you've got Dominic on the pitch for the last 15 minutes. Is that a case of him just building up fitness now? Yeah, yeah, yeah building up match fitness, and um, you know we've managed him through this return um, in terms of how he's trains and his workloads because we need to be a bit careful. So he's not ready to start a game today, but to get him on the pitch is a good thing, and it gives us clearly a different kind of angle to our attacking play. Big player for us, and um, that was that was a positive, yeah, in the big skin. The reason why form has been so good, the project is still in its infancy. Sometimes you learn more about your players and defeat teams in victory. I just wonder if you did take any lessons from this first night, the last 90 minutes. A lot, a lot of lessons today, a lot of lessons in, in all aspects of our game in the first half. The players will feel that. Uh, in the first half, there was a lack of edge to our game that I think is normally there. I think we were off it in second balls, and those that side of the game that's always important in any game, but particularly here at Goodison against a team of Manchester United's level, um, and and our also our, our calmness in possession. I think we can improve that, and that's part of the process of of working together and um, and getting better on the ball and going from probably a way of playing before as I came in here um, and bringing players into the team and an understanding of when to have a bit of calm. On the, on the ball to move the other team. Not always easy on a, on a, on a night at Goodison where everyone wants everything right now, but at the same time as we have to have a confidence to do that. And we, we, we were just, just off it to that to a degree in the first half. And um, it's definitely a game of, of some lessons for us. It is coming up to 11 minutes away from 11 o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. I can tell you that overnight tonight, in fact, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, New Zealand time, Nottingham Forest taking on Aston Villa. Still plenty of pressure on Stephen Gerrard. He'd be wanting to get the victory over Forrest. 
Forest fans will be hoping they can turn their season around. Then we move to Champions League on Wednesday morning New Zealand time. We've got Dynamo Zagreb up against FC Red Bull Salzburg. AC Milan up against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea winning that first leg 3-0. Celtic take on Leipzig. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk take on Real Madrid. FC Copenhagen take on Manchester City. Yeah, they were beaten badly, weren't they? 4-0. Um, Copenhagen, they'll be looking to maybe minimise the damage. Borussia Dortmund take on Sevilla. And Maccabi Haifa take on Juventus. Paris Saint-Germain take on Benfica. And then on Wednesday, which is Thursday morning New Zealand time, we've got Napoli, Ajax. Rangers take on Liverpool. Atletico Madrid take on Club Rouge. We've got uh, Bayer Leverkusen taking on FC Porto. Group C, Barcelona into Milan. Victoria Spelen take on Bayern Munich. Sporting Lisbon play Marseille. And Tottenham Hotspur take on Eintracht Frankfurt which was a nil-all draw the last time that they did play. So plenty of Champions League football to watch, and you can watch that these days on Spark Sport. Champions League only on Spark Sport. English Premier League on Sky Sport, Ben. Hard to keep up. Mm. There's a lot going on at the moment, isn't there? But that's what I'm saying. So much sport going on, that, and we've only got limited time, that we're going to choose the best product to watch, aren't we? So it's up to sports organisations to put their best foot forward. Bring me a high level of engagement. Well, yeah, and it kind of comes back to the point I think Brian was making. I think a big reason why you know we're not probably not getting those crowds to the NPC is because we're not getting the best. No, we're not getting the best. You know, our best players are not playing. Um, our best players are not playing in Super Rugby, and even our best players are not always playing at All Black level. Um, I understand it's a gladiatorial game. I understand it's physical. I get all of that. Um, so is rugby league, and yet you still see a lot of these stars manage to get through an entire season. Yeah, some end up getting injured. We get that. That's the nature of the game. It's always been the way. But you could play, you can play six out of eighteen games and still pick up an injury. Yeah, you can even just play one game and pick up an injury. It's 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 just part of the sport, mm. and that, and that's what it is at the end of the day. It's part of the sport. There's it's a contact sport. Yeah, injuries happen. Yeah, you can't wrap them up in cotton wool, mate. Which is um, you know, which which is. What these organ sports science has come in and killed a lot of it too. You know, got these people with academic degrees on the wall that keep trying to tell everyone they're going to get tired. I've just had someone texting and wanting to know the English Premier League games coming up over the weekend. We've got Leicester City taking on Crystal Palace, that is a Saturday night, Sunday morning. Fulham take on Bournemouth, should be a good game. Wolves, who haven't been in great form, really good season last year, taking on Forest. Forest needs to win one of these. Spurs Everton, Ooh, tough game for Spurs. Everton though should be too good for Everton, I would have thought. And then on Sunday night, Monday morning, Aston Villa Chelsea, big game, big game. Leeds United Arsenal, expect Arsenal to probably win that one. Man United Newcastle, well, I'll put a draw there. Southampton West Ham. Oh, I'm going to stick with West Ham, continuing their. Upward progress and Liverpool Man City. Liverpool either win this or get beaten 4 0. Based on the evidence I've seen. Mm, you're going to go 4 0, Man City. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, it's hard not to, but then in saying that, Liverpool do have to click at some point. I mean, if you go right back to the start of the, and I know it's right at the season, but it was only, what, seven weeks ago. If you go right back to um, the Charity Shield or the Community Shield, they call it, Liverpool dominated City. Times have changed, though. Hmm. Yeah, Erling Haaland's now settled in 
He was always going to settle. I, I, can't, I can't believe people were kind of dismissing that he wasn't going to have the same impact that he won. Mm, mm. <laughs> I thought it was obvious that this was going to happen. You know, Man City did the right thing waiting to get him because he's a guy that you could literally not – he might go to other clubs, but he's, what, 22? You've got him for the next 15 years if you want. Mm. Yeah, but I think he will end up going and playing in the big Spanish teams. I think he'll play Barcelona or Real. I think he will have his three or four years at City. And then I think he'll need a challenge, um, particularly if they win everything in the next few seasons. I, you know, you want to look back on your CV and play, yes, I played in a great Manchester City team. I was the first, you know, we were the first Manchester City win to win the Champions League and I was a key part in that. I broke every record in the EPL. What's left in football? What's left in football is Barcelona, Real Madrid. Well, if he wants a real challenge, he should go back to Borussia Dortmund and help them win the title. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, that, eh? That, now, that is a real challenge, not going to another powerhouse team who's pretty much going to be guaranteed. Powerhouse team's going to pay you the bucks, though. Well, Dortmund can pay a bit. And mind you, you know, money talks at the end of the day. Manchester City, they're basically funded by an entire country, aren't they? So... Um, they do if he, have. If he wants, a, if he wants a real challenge, now this is a real challenge. He can go to my Bradford City and get them to the Premier League. Agree with that. That would be a great challenge. Maybe Cristiano Ronaldo could finish his career there too. Rumor has it he might end up going to Miami and playing for David Beckham's. Oh, jeez, well, another one. Miami, their flamingo, pink flamingo is there. Um, they play in a pink shirt too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, not good news for Liverpool fans. Um, Louis Diaz looking like the injury might be quite serious and maybe good news for Liverpool fans in a sort of screwed up kind of way. Alexander-Arnold also uh, quite badly injured in that game. Maybe the break will be the best thing that does happen to him. Hey, look, um, that's pretty much us done for another edition of Extra Time. Uh, ben, thank you. Privilege and a pleasure as always. It would be nice to get home without seeing an orange cone, but I'm not confident. <laughs> I totally agree. I know I'm going to get a detour off the motorway probably three times Well, I'm tonight. going to get channeled into one lane and be backed up at 11 o'clock at night going, it's bad enough in the morning and now you're doing it to me late at night. Hopeless. Uh, look, if you are travelling around the country, do take care. Um, in the words of Ben Francis as well, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91